Hey guys, brand new podcast, Body Shots World Tour. We have added a ridiculous amount of dates. We, I say we, I think it feels weird for me to say I. I have added a ridiculous amount of dates. Uh, I want to, st- I, I think we've added a date almost to every city. Um, we've added a date to most of the European cities as well. So they are on general, they're on pre-sale right now. They're on pre-sale right now. Pre-sale is how you get your tickets. So if you didn't get a ticket in the first round of pre-sales, they were sold out by general sale, by general uh, admission on Friday. So right now is Wednesday. They are on pre-sale again. Use the promo code SHOTS to get your tickets. Um, if you got tickets in the first round, you were lucky enough to get tickets in the first round, and your friends didn't, hit your friends up, let them know. We are doing pretty much two shows in every city. I keep saying we. I have a really hard time saying I. I am overwhelmed. I think that is ultimately what it is. I'm actually overwhelmed by the outpouring of love I got from you guys regarding this tour. Um, uh, these tours are really big deals in someone's career, uh, meaning will people come out to theaters to see them? Will they not know that they're in a comedy club? Will they make the leap over to theaters? And uh, and uh, I, I went through this process covered in gold. So thank you so much for everyone who bought a ticket. I have a brand new hour that will I will be uh, touring with this. I will be in a tour bus, so I won't be burnt out every city. And, uh, and I'll bring all the comics you love with me on the road, uh, on and off different dates. And also, I think we're going to do a thing on my website where you can vote for what stories you want to hear at the end. So I know there's a lot of people that have always wanted to hear Flying Dildos. So if I go into your city and enough people want to hear Flying Dildos... We'll tell flying dildos. Obviously, if you want to hear the machine, we'll tell the machine. Um, but I, I want I, I want this tour to be fun. I want it to be what you want it to be. I want you to hear the stories you want to hear, and I want to do an, and I'm going to be doing an hour's worth of new material. There'll be two shows, two people per show. So I'm going to do 15 minutes, and then I'll cover the rest of the time, and they'll go a little long, and it'll be fun. We're going to fucking party. I'm really excited for this tour. It starts January 10th, I think. But uh, that being said, I got really nothing else to do but some promo reads. And uh, oh, oh, we should really quick talk about Sober October. Obert. We are 20, 23 days in. I have eight days left. I have almost seven days left because it's the night before the 24th. Um, the competition has gotten grueling. Uh, I have rolled my ankle. You don't know about that in the interview we have. We're just talking about how hardcore it is. Uh, I've rolled my ankle, but I am not giving up. I'm not giving up. I have a rowing machine, and I will just get my heart rate to fucking 150 and keep it there for as long as fucking possible. I will not come in last place. The booze, the drugs, that's fucking... That's the least on my fucking mind right now. Joe Rogan... is different than any of us. We'll do a podcast November 5th. You'll hear everything. But we are tracking each other's numbers and just suffice to say that uh, it's been been really interesting to watch that guy work out. Holy motherfucking shit. Dude, you want to talk about focus? Not one mother... Anyway, I don't know. We'll talk about it on the podcast. We'll talk about it on Joe's podcast November 5th. Um... I went on a hike with Ari. That's where I rolled my ankle. I just slipped and it just kind of tweaked it. Of course, Tom was like, yeah, this is what happens when you fucking are burning 2,500 calories a day working out. 
You're going to get tired. You're going to get overexhausted. You're going to slip. You're going to fucking get sick. Tom's sick right now. Ari's got herpes, but I think, I don't know if that's from the working out. I don't even know if he has herpes. It's just all over his face. Anyway, we'll be catching up on Rogan's podcast November 5th. If you guys are doing Sober October with us, stay sober. We can get through this. I'm just going to be in, I'm going to, I, tour dates are coming up. I, I don't really care to promote them. Just fucking find me on the road. Brea, New Year's Eve, um, Spokane, whatever. I'll be on the road. Go to burberbert.com. Get your tickets. The Sirius XM Comedy Central radio show You Up with Nikki Glazer is now a podcast. Come join comedian Nikki Glazer and her best friend, Tom Takar. You don't need to tell me how to pronounce it, Comedy Central. I know him. Oversharing about their personal lives and getting and giving perspective on dating, sex, dissecting pop culture, trying to understand the news and making fun of whatever or whoever else deserves it. Check out some of their latest episodes featuring great interviews with Tracy Morgan, Amy Schumer, Amber Tamberlin. Guys, that didn't just sell it to my podcasting fans. Guys, Amber Tamberlin's on there. By the way, Amber Tamberlin's married to David Cross. I think she's really interesting, but I'm... Why did I just shit on her? I'm not shitting on her. It's just... God damn it, Bert. Listen in... To learn more about the Squirt Nation and stay until the end of every episode when Nikki reveals cryptic personal secrets. Call to action. Subscribe now to You Up with Nikki Glazer on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. You can also listen to You Up every Monday through Thursday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 Pacific on Sirius XM's Comedy Central Radio, Channel 95. By the way, I am contracted to read what they write about this but I will tell you right now, Nikki's po- Nikki's uh, radio show is one of the fucking funniest shows to do. She's really interested and invested in it. She gives a fuck. She shows up ready. She does not. When Nikki quit drinking, it fucking changed her for the better. Nikki's been on my podcast. By the way, I like Nikki drinking, but I never really hung out with her much drinking. I hang out with her more now that she doesn't drink, to be honest with you. But she is dialed in. That show is fun as fuck to do. They have a whole group of guys on there. Um I just snorted snot up my nose, but, uh, and it's fun. I got drunk with Tom in, uh, in San Francisco. I had such fun time on her show. I did one in San Francisco and I did one in New York and the one in New York, she was in LA when she did it. And it was fun as fuck, even with her talking in via satellite. So do, do what they say. Let me read the copy again. Subscribe to you up with Nikki Glazer on Apple podcast, wherever get your podcasting app and check them out on Sirius XM's Channel 95. All right. This podcast is also brought to you by Hims. Hims is a wellness brand for men. Let me tell you something. Over 25% of the new cases of EDs are in guys under 40. 40% of age of men ages 40 and over struggle from not being able to get up and maintain an erection. That is is over with everybody you don't have to worry about going into some fucking doctor's office and possibly there's a hot nurse she does a little pre-interview and she goes what's the problem here and you're like uh, i got a few that i want to talk to the doctors but i know but i need to hear it now i know but maybe i was wondering if i could talk to the doctor specifically about this one is it are you having a hard time getting under maintaining erection no no i fucking kill it in the bed i bang guts or going into a gas station and getting those fucking snake oil pills that red boy red band eats those those uh, over-the-counter counter supplements. Well, one ED pill 
just came off the patent market December 11th, and that is a game changer. It starts with a V. I think it's blue. I'm not certain, but there's no more of that waiting room. This is so easy. All you got to do is answer a few quick questions and chat with the doctor for con- confidential review online. Products are shipped directly to your door, and this ED shit is done. It's not for the rich guys. It's for all of us, the guys in their 30s, the guys in their 40s. Guys that just want to perform better. You want to perform at your best. When you have sex with a chick for the first time, you want to bring your A game or your V game. Whoa, shut the fuck up. It's erectiles without the dysfunction. Um, I love that they wrote in here, uh, say hello to my little friend. Uh, Hims also has, and I know that this not in this read, but they also have uh, hair loss remedies. And that is what I am hardcore sold on i still have a head of hair because i started fixing it before it became a problem and if you can get in front of that bus god damn it you don't get run over it by it so check out hymns the whole website's got everything uh male wellness it's a male wellness brand so check them out try hymns for a month today for just five bucks we'll get you started for five bucks while supplies last see website for full details this will cost hundreds if you went to the doctor or pharmacy go to for hymns.com slash birdcasted it's birdcast ed i never understood that go to for hymns.com slash birdcast ed that's f-o-r-h-i-m-s dot com slash birdcast ed for hymns.com slash birdcasted birdcast ed um check them out man get in front of that fucking bus right now this podcast is also brought to you by misson misson is like a uh, look i'm not even gonna read the goddamn copy it's the only fucking knife i use i have two knives we have a a pairing knife like a small pairing knife and then a big knife like a like the big knife you always want to use you know big uh triangle knife they got sent to our house. By the way, we just bought four of these fucking knife sets. It's just two knives. That's all you're going to get. Two fucking knives. They also have a bread knife, I think. I got to put my glasses back on. They were a Kickstarter thing, and they raised like a million dollars on Kickstarter, and they basically are making knives cheaper than the competition by selling them directly to you. That is the fucking rub with all these companies. By by cutting out the middleman and just going straight to the consumer, they save you the money. They don't save them the money. They make the same fucking money. You're getting saved the money. And this is, I'm telling you, they call it, the New York Times called it the Holy Grail of Knives. These fucking knives rock. We did not know that they were going to be a sponsor. They just got sent to our house. My, and Leanne's like, oh, I guess this is for your cooking show? Try these knives out. They're fucking amazing. Dude, one of my hardest things to cut is potatoes. When you cut potatoes, if you have a bullshit knife, the knife gets stuck in there. Apples. Apples the same way. Bullshit knife. Knife gets like, it just doesn't go through straight. If you use the wrong knife, it goes through sideways. Dude, this, these knives are fucking amazing. I think they have a bread knife. Do I, am I right about that? They have a bread knife? Um, I think they have a bread knife too. They make high-end kitchen knives. They're comparable to $150 knives, but they sell them directly to you for a fraction of the price. Most people don't have a dull knife. works well in the kitchen, but everyone knows it. I'm telling you, we just have two of the knives, and we just bought four of them to give them away as presents to my dad, my sisters, Leanne's dad, and and then we bought another pair for me because you can't have... Honestly, if one set of knives is dirty because you're both cooking, then you need another set of knives. I've tried the knives. This is what it's written, but this is true. I've tried the Misan Chef's knife. I honestly 
haven't touched our old knives. They're still in our kitchen. I haven't fucking touched them. Cooking's faster, easier, and actually more fun, and you don't need to worry about cutting your finger off. And now... You can join in the fun in your kitchen. My listeners will receive a free paring knife. That's what I got. I got the paring knife. It's a great fucking knife. When you purchase their chef's knife, simply by going to misson.co slash birdcast. That's M-I-S-E-N dot C-O slash birdcast. That's a $35 value for free. Go to M-I-S-E-N dot co dot C-O slash BurtCast and start cooking sharp. This podcast is also brought to you by Robinhood. Isla, Robinhood is an amazing investment app that lets you buy and sell stocks, ETFs, options, all cryptos, all commission-free. Can you believe it, Isla? No. Yes. They strive to make financial services work for the everyman, not just the wealthy. Not Make it non-intimidating for stock market newcomers like myself and yourself, Isla. Oh, I get it. Because yeah. it's like... Robin Hood like the movie and it doesn't help with like the um the rich people don't you got it take from the rich and give to the poor so what they're doing is people like us who aren't like these like Hot Wall, shot. St- Wall Street fat cats right smoking cigars and drinking cognac it allows us to invest, invest too invest in, in very easily because what and what's important Isla is they don't have a cost or a commission fee do you know what that is no. So normally, if you're going to use a brokerage firm, they charge $10 for every trade. Robinhood does not charge commission fees. Trade stocks and keep all the profit. So instead of, like if you were going to go buy something at Menchie's and there was a guy standing outside Menchie's, he's like, I'll get you the Menchie's. And you're like, okay. He's like, it's $10 for me to go in and get you the Menchie's. And then he came out and he got you your Menchie's. And you're like, thank you. And he's like, that t- costs $10. Basically, Robinhood's like, oh, just come and get your fucking Menchie's. Just pay the guy at the counter. That's basically what Robinhood does. And they do this with a fucking easy to understand uh, app. The app is... What is that yelling? That's not Georgia, is it? The uh, they're, Sorry, there was yelling in the middle of this read. Oh, it's in our alley. It's an easy... They have easy to understand charts, market data, and you can place a trade in just four taps on your smartphone. It's super easy. I let you download the app, then you link it up to your bank account, then you can just literally place trade in four taps. They also let you view stock collections, like the 100 most popular, the sectors like entertainment, social media. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah, fam- uh, female CEOs. And analysis, female? female CEOs. Female CEOs. Did I say female? <laughs> you said female. <laughs> and analysis for ratings on buying, holding, or selling for every stock. Learn how to invest as you build your portfolio. It's a great place to fail upwards. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. Like, upwards. Just because, you know, life's about learning and, and you're going to, in, in the stock market, there's going to be ups and downs, but... You can do this on your own dime. You don't have to worry about the paying someone else to help you figure it out. You get to do it on your own. You don't have to worry about how many times have we called up and said, we want to invest in this. And the guy's like, oh, I don't know about that. Oh, let me look into this. Let me look let into me this. Think You're about like, no, that. I already want to do it. About it. Yeah. Well, now you get to do it all yourself. Custom notifications for price movements. You never miss the right moment to invest. Discover new stocks. Track favorite companies with personalized news feed. Here's what you do. Robinhood is giving... My listeners, a free stock like Apple, Ford, or Sprint. You know what those are called? Nice. I was going to say blue chip, but I don't think that's what they're called. 
They're like good stocks, Isla. They're always going to go up because they're fucking always going to be here. It's America. For To help build your portfolio, sign up at BurtCast.RobinHood.com. That's BurtCast.RobinHood.com. You heard me right. You are getting a free stock like Apple, Ford, or Sprint to help you build your portfolio. Sign up at BurtCast.RobinHood.com. That's BurtCast.RobinHood.com. Don't forget it. It's BurtCast.RobinHood.com. God, you nailed it. <laughs> and those are my reads, everyone. Thank you so much for sitting through my reads and listening to my reads and supporting my advertisers. Realize that making money on this podcast makes this podcast move forward. We get to do stuff like get a new studio, buy new equipment, pay Halston. It makes the podcast easier to do. So if you really do support the podcast, we don't ask for your money. We just ask that you check out our sponsors and go and check out their apps. See and if the they sponsors work. we have are awesome. I, there's not one sponsor we don't stand by. Uh, yeah, and so I ch- agree. Check them out and support our sponsors. Yes, baby. It kind of sounds like you are asking for their money. No, well, we are not asking for their money. I'm not asking for their money. I don't get their money. And they're not, All I'm saying is check out uh, Nikki's podcast. Yeah. Right? Check out Hims if you have ED. Do you have ED, Isla? No. Okay. <laughs> uh, check out Misson and check out Robin Hood. Yeah, they're all great. They're all really great. Yeah. Today's podcast uh, is with a guy I've wanted to podcast with for a while. I was really excited to talk to him, and it was a great conversation. His name's Gary Owen. Gary Owen is, and I didn't understand how he got to where he was, but he is the number one white urban act in the world. Ah. He is the biggest thing in the, you know what urban means, Lila? No. Uh, Black. That's a polite way of saying black. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Black clubs, Isla, are uh, tough to play in. If you're a white comic, they've, they're have they notoriously uh, difficult. And uh, and this guy has made a an amazing living. He does very well. He's the number one urban, white urban act. And I ran into him in an airport in Cincinnati one time, and he was the sweetest guy. I've seen his poster everywhere. There's us guys that have been grinding on the road forever. We know who we are. We see each other's posters up every week. The clubs talk trash about us. They talk good when we're good, bad when we're bad. We know who the dicks are. We know who the alcoholics are. We know who the drug acts are. We know who cheats on their wives, and we know who the good guys are. And Gary has always gotten a rap. He's just a great, solid guy. There's a handful of us. I'm a good, solid guy, but I I think I get a better rap because I party with the staff. Gary's not, he's not a lunatic on the road. He's just, that was a weird way to say lunatic. He's just a good guy. And I ran into him in the Cincinnati airport and he just came up to me. And you know, I love this, but just came up and said, hey, Bert, Gary Owen. And I was like, I know exactly who you are. He was like, I just wanted to say, hi, man, where are you going to? And it was just great to catch up with another comic. Ever since then, I've looked at him and gone, man, I want to get him on my podcast because he lives in Cincinnati. He's never out in LA. He just moved to San Francisco. I've been watching him on Instagram. His Instagram's great. His podcast is great. He's restarting it out in San Francisco. But uh, I wanted to talk to him about his, how his journey, how he got to become performing just in front of black people it's an interesting path to take yeah. that no one in this business has taken right and it's and he's massively respected across the board by all comics mm-hmm. um and i was very lucky enough to sit down and have a talk with him that's great we had a good talk what else did we talk about halston uh his childhood oh chicken. we're talking about his childhood we talk about chicken michael nick roof cannon. nick cannon oh it's a good it's a great conversation oh, how mentally challenged cousin? oh yes Yes. Trigger warning. Uh, okay. There's a yeah. Just 
Yeah, he got in trouble with the Special Olympics. We talk about that. Ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, enjoy my podcast. Uh, I, I love you with all my heart. Today's podcast, Gary Owen. This is Cast. You just moved to San Francisco? And not San Francisco, the Bay Area. We're, we're in Brentwood by Walnut Creek. Really? So. What moved you over there? It's kind of a, a sad story to bring it down, but oh, my, really? my wife's an only child. Yeah. And she's got a cousin who's an only child. And her, um, her cousin, her husband, went in for like a routine surgery, like a benign tumor. Oh, and they man. cut an artery. What? And he they he was at a he wasn't at a hospital, he was at like a same day surgery center. So they didn't have enough blood to get back. So he, he went into coma and the brain lost too much blood and he died. So they're suing the shit out of the hospital. But so now she's a single mom with four kids. Before it was a husband and wife. Yeah. And it's crazy. She was the breadwinner because she's the dean of a university. The husband was the football coach, the swim coach, the the made dinner. The, the roles were reversed. He was yeah. still doing the manly things. So I told my wife, I said, you know, I, I said, we can move if you want to, if you, if you feel like she needs to need help and support, I said, we can move. I said, I can live anywhere. I'm a comedian. She's like, you serious? I said, yeah. So we, we really? moved like an, a mile down from her now. It's just so they got my wife's there. I'm there now. And that's kind of crazy. Uh, it's kind of exciting to move. It is. We just drove the U-Haul across country. I saw that. I was following you. Yeah. Is that, I didn't, I thought for some reason, I thought you were moving your friend out. No, he was, was he just you. helped me drive. That's my road manager. Yeah. He just helped me drive. That's fucking crazy. Yeah. So uh so did you get like get to look for a new house and we had it built. We built we built the house. Really? Mm-hmm. So it's just That's got kind finished. of funny shit. Yeah, that's why I said it was like, why'd you drive a U-Haul? I was like, I never drove the eighty. Yeah. You know? There's only certain people you could drive that with. I go, my road manager I can do it with. My wife, we would be divorced. I already really? know. <laughs> I was like this. We wouldn't have made it. <laughs> And he likes to drive. <coughs> so he was just on the phone because he's a painter on the side. So he's just handling painting deals, talking. I was like, you want me to drive? Really? He goes, I'm good. I, it was it was 30, I think it was 35 hours of drive time. And I bet you he did 28. I did about seven. Oh, uh, I just was with uh, my kids in the car the other night. My wife was drunk, which never happens. And I'm sober. I'm not drinking this month. Mm-hmm. And I drove home from a party and my daughters are like, I don't think I've ever seen you drive, dad. <laughs> I was like, really? And they're like, you never, because I never drive. I don't drive. I don't normally drive. Like, even if we get in the car, my wife always drives. Today, we went to go look at a house and uh, my wife drove. Yeah. And I was like, I, but it's just a natural. I think it's one of those things, probably like your, <coughs> your wife's cousin. I don't know. It's just the way our relationship fell into mm-hmm. is that my wife's the driver. She likes being in control. Well, I suck. I'm a terrible driver. Really? I hit something on the way in the U-Haul. Did you really? I hit an AutoZone sign. <laughs> like we stopped at Starbucks, and I didn't realize how big the U-Haul was. And yeah. I went, I made the left, and I went right in the middle of Iowa. And I really, Brad goes, watch it, ooh. <laughs> and he went, and I went, fuck. So literally three guys from AutoZone walk out, and they never acknowledge us. They just start looking at the sign and I told Brad Brad walked out and stood by him and they never acknowledged him I go fuck it let's go yeah so we just backed down and left when we left they were still looking at the shit I'm a little overhang you, you know Bobby Kelly 
Robert Kelly? Yeah, Robert that, Kelly. Robert the one Kelly. from Tourgasm? Yeah. So, yeah. Wait, you have such an interesting comedy career. Cause you're, have we started? What? Yeah, we started. We started. We started. Oh, yeah, okay. we started. Yeah. <laughs> you have such an interesting comedy career because uh, you really are kind of like out of the bullshit of it. Is that I'm out sense? the loop. Like, I've, I've, I've never done the festivals. I'm not... You know, I, I live in Ohio. I don't see a lot of stand-ups. Like, I, I met you once on airport. a plane. Yeah. Right in Cincinnati. And it was weird when we met because we were both kind of looking at each other. And yeah. like, is he an asshole? Should I well, say hello? You, you're you know? so different than... Like, I think at the time, I just, I just was talking to Colleen uh, Quinn about this in Omaha. I was saying there's a few guys that... I know from the circuit, meaning like we all saw each other's pictures up whenever you'd go anywhere and you felt like you knew them, but you didn't, you never even met them. Mm -hmm. Like I, this next week in, in Omaha this week, I guess if that this airs, John Morgan's there. I've never met John Morgan. I yeah. feel like I know that guy. Yeah, I don't think so I many either. people have told me so many fucking stories. Jay Medicine hat. Remember that guy? Yeah. Dude. I've heard so many Jay Medicine ass stories. And then when he died, I was like, God damn it, man. I'm going to miss him. I never even met the guy. Yeah, I met him once. Really? Yeah. It was the same thing like we did. Like, we goes, he goes, what's up, man? Yeah. So you're like, what's up? But you're like, I don't know him, but I know him. And then you're just kind of, I don't know, it's almost like you got gloves on. And then you just realize, oh, okay, he's cool. But you have, like, and there are some guys who, there are some guys who kind of uh, do that and they stay in the on the road and they just kind of, that's their thing. But you kind of have still grown. Like you're, like you're still in the business. It's not like your your isolation hasn't isolated you from the business. You've always worked in the business. Yeah. Well, you know, I don't I don't go to comedy clubs a lot. Like I don't hang out at the store yeah. or the improv or the Laugh Factory, and uh, and that I mean that's a story in itself because um, I did when I first got out of here. I did the whole wait in line to open mic, and I'll never forget. I did it like three weeks in a row. I finally got the call. You're showcasing for Mitzi tonight. This was 98. And yeah. uh, so I went up and there was four girls and me went up. And I was the fifth one. And I and, and I know it sounds cocky and conceited, but I, I clearly had the best five minutes. Yeah. And, clearly, and so I'm thinking, oh, I'm good. But when I was on stage, I looked in the back of the original room and Mitzi had the four girls around her talking to him. So she never saw my set. Yeah. So then I got done and I and I called like a couple days later and they was like, yeah, you didn't, you didn't, you're not a paid regular, you, you didn't make it. And I go, huh? And then I saw the other girls did, and I went, really? And I said, I will never, ever perform in that room, and I never have. Really? I said I'll never go up. I was it's so like. I said, because in my brain, I was like, I did everything you asked me to do. I stood in that line for three hours. The one for thing three you weeks. didn't do was go up and suck ass to the person who's booking the room and distract from the show going on. Like you didn't go up when the other girls were on stage. No. Like, hey, Missy, no. this is Gary. Nice to meet you. I, I just thought, yeah, and that and that is kind of bullshit that someone. Yeah, but that I, is how the, that is in a weird way. That's the, that's Hollywood for you. Yeah, yeah. And I just told, I've never been up. I've probably been the comedy store ten times in the last fifteen years. Really? Just, I just. I don't know. Like I come, to, like you said, I'm in the loop. So I'll come to LA for meetings and auditions and stuff, but I don't go out. So I kind of just stay in my hotel room. It's was, a very isolated uh, existence, kind of. But yeah, but but kind of nice. Like you know, I'm a lot probably closer to you than I am the regular LA comic because I don't. I like they texted me today for spots, and I was like, 
yeah, I'm, I'm dadding the fuck up this week. Yeah. <laughs> and they were like, okay, but no one else does that. Everyone else is there every fucking night. I just don't have it in me, man. When you, when you do the road the way me and you do, and I think me and you do it probably, I would say you're if you're not every week you're you're three we, three weeks a month yeah i have to call i have to call my agent and tell him when i want off because i i mean i can't work every week so i have to come yeah. back i don't want to work this weekend sweet where did you start san diego start i started san- with like bobby lee nick cannon uh darren carter like that group the late 90s in san diego really and it was weird because i had two different two different clicks <laughs> i call it because the first time i ever went up to the comedy store I, I, I'll never forget it. I wasn't 21 and I got a Sunday night spot. I was, a, I was like one of the last people up. So it's like one in the morning. There's probably 10 people in the audience, but there's like 15 comics in the back and the comics started heckling me. And I was like, and it wasn't like heckle, like you suck, but they were laughing at shit they shouldn't have laughed at and distracting from what I was doing. Yeah. And I was getting so frustrated because you got five minutes and you're nervous as shit. So I had a beer in my hand and I'll never forget. I was like, hey, you guys in the back, keep heckling because I'm only 20. I've been drinking this club all night. Why don't I call the cops and shut this fucker down? <laughs> and when I say the lights went off, a guy came and literally out of a, like out of a movie, threw me out of the front of the comedy store, like really? the back of my shirt and threw me out. And I did like a front roll in For front real? of the comedy store in La Jolla. And I got up and dusted myself off. And I said, well, I can't come back here, but I think I can talk shit. (laughs) (laughs) And I was banned for like a year and I couldn't go back up. So by me being banned, I, it, it lit the fire. Like I want to be a standup. So I was in the Navy at the time. So you were in the Navy. Yeah, I was active duty. And so I was like, where can I, where can I go up? So a couple black guys that I was stationed with started telling me about all the, the hood spots and so I would go there and then I start doing, I go, I figured it out. I'd go to karaoke bars instead of singing songs. I would tell jokes. So it got to the point where I was like in the karaoke scene in San Diego, like, oh, that guy does stand up. He doesn't yeah. sing. So they got to know me. And, and then it was funny because Nick Cannon, um, I did this funniest black comedian San Diego contest. I was to the radio and I didn't say I was, was or wasn't black. I just called in. So when I got there, I entered, I won. So I was the funniest black comedian in San Diego. So it was yeah. kind of funny. Well, Nick Cannon was there and his manager was there at the time. Nick was in a rap group called The Bomb Squad. Yeah. And so. What year is this? This is 98. Yeah. Okay. And it's and his manager was like, yo, you're funny, man. This is I, right uh, before he started doing Nickelodeon, I bet. Well, I'll right? tell you the whole story. This is how okay. it all played out. So his manager goes, uh, you know, I, um, I, there's Guy Tori's Fat Tuesdays at the Comedy Store. So when I say I've never done the original room at the Comedy Store, I've done the main room. I would do Fat Tuesdays. Yeah. I just wouldn't do the original room. And he goes, you know, Guy Tori's doing it. He goes, I can get you on. And I was like, okay. So he got me on at Fat Tuesdays at the Comedy Store. And Nick rode up with us. And Nick was like 16, 17 years old at the time. Yeah. We get back that one time at the Comedy Store... Uh, Magic Johnson's people saw me and Magic had that talk show called The Magic Hour that yeah. lasted like six months. I remember that show. So they was like, yo, Magic's looking for a sidekick and they was like, they liked you. And I was like, really? Keep in mind, I've, I've been doing stand-up like six months. I didn't have a lot of material. Yeah. And end up, I think Craig Shoemaker became his sidekick on the show. Yeah. And I went and I met, I came back to LA, drove up, met with Magic, came back down, didn't get the job, but I was editing a VHS tape of my act to send to Magic's people. Cause I, didn't ha- I was making it up. Like literally I was having guys film me 
like that week. Like I got to get a, a, a highlight reel. I don't have one. Oh yeah. So Nick came over with his manager and Nick goes, I think I'm going to start doing stand up." And I go, you should. And it was like an epiphany. Yeah. Right. So Nick would start going up where I was going up, but he was doing other people's jokes because he didn't know. Yeah. And I go, Nick, um, you can't do that. That's so-and-so joke. He goes, oh yeah, I saw it last night on Confu. I thought it was funny. And I was like, oh no, no, you can't God. do that. He just didn't know. Yeah. So then he started honing his act and we, we rode up together to, to uh, Oakland, did the Bay Area Black Comedy Competition. And I'll never forget, Nick went up and that's where some Disney reps was there. So Nickelodeon Ruts was there, and then Nick. That's how he. That's how the the groundswell start happening was that. You know they had real execs back then. Yeah, that, oh, that was that a different. Festival. That was a different. That was a different time in this business. Yeah, that's when you got discovered and you got like a half a million deal dollar deal and yeah. you got pulled out. Yeah, so that's how Nick. Uh, that's how you know. That's how he really got started and getting his name out there in the business was the Nickelodeon the warm up, you know, and that was the same year. 98, when 99 was the one festival I've done was Montreal in 99. And I don't know if you remember a guy named Chicken, of Michael Roof. Of course I remember Chicken. You know, I can't believe he committed suicide a couple years ago. Dude, I, I got to be dead honest with you. If I was going to make a project, I'd make a documentary on that guy. Because that, I, bec I got my deal, uh, I got my first deal when he got his deal. In Montreal that year? Uh, I got it. I, didn't, wasn't even in, I wasn't even at Montreal. I was I got a deal through Overbrook, who had a Will deal Smith? who had a deal with Nick Cannon at the time. Yeah, and I had a deal where I like that's the only reason I knew ever knew who Nick Cannon was was that he had a deal at Overbrook when I had yeah. a deal at Overbrook. And David Tochterman was like, "We got this kid Nick Cannon. He's like the next Fr Will Will Smith. He's like good looking. He's hilarious." Mm -hmm. And so, but Chicken got his deal. Chicken got like a fat deal off Montreal, and he could not do stand up. I was there. I saw it all go down. Wait. It's crazy. Like, I saw the Nick Cannon shit happen. Not happen, but I saw the execs and the way they looked. Yeah. They give you a look, and they act like you're not around. You just, you're just you just quiet in the room. They like, oh, yeah. they beeline it to the guy. And with Chicken was a Montreal scene, was I, and I did I did New Faces and bombed the bomb of bombs. Really? It was, it was brutal. It was, <laughs> let me tell you about my Montreal experience. And we'll get into Chicken in a second, but... I did New Faces, and I was the first guy on the first show of the festival. So I go up. It's like 6 p.m. It's daylight out. We're in this place called Club Soda. I've been there. I performed there. And, and I looked in the audience, and it was really old and really white. And, you know, I'm kind of an urban guy. Have you always been urban? No. Like well, it was, it was. I had to. I Like I always say, I'm not pandering to my audience, but I'm playing to them. Because if I'm doing Showtime at the Apollo, I'm not talking about Garth Brooks. Yeah. And if I'm doing the West Virginia State Fair, I'm not talking about Lil Wayne. So yeah. I, I, I'm not pandering, but I'm making sure my material relates yeah. to that audience. You're, yeah, it's, that's, it's the same thing I do. I read the audience. Now it's a little yeah. different than when I first started, but yeah. Yeah, when you're young. I mean, so so uh, I go up and Dom Herrera was hosting. And Dom didn't get a lot of laughs either. And I go, wow, they're not really laughing at Dom. And I was like, at Dom, like almost a god like oh, okay yeah. i'm good and then i went up there and i was with ca at the time and my agents at ca was like i literally told him five minutes before on stage i go i'm gonna switch my act up i go they're not gonna get my jokes like this isn't the audience they go no 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 no. you do the five minutes you've been working on you trust us we got tv execs here you're just trying to get your point of view across don't worry about the laughter i didn't when don brought me up i don't think anybody clapped 
I didn't get a smile, a chuckle. I didn't get shit for five minutes. And I was like, an hour you can kind of get it. Five minutes? Yeah. I literally walked off stage. I walked out the back of the club. And my CA agents at the time was like, uh, they was telling my wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, yo, we got these people who want to meet Gary. She goes, he ain't coming out. I know Gary. Yeah. And I walked two miles back to my hotel. And she stayed about 50 feet back from me because she knows I was pissed. I was like, yeah. I should have went with my gut. And then I had two days before I went up again. We had a day off. I didn't leave my room because I literally thought everyone would be like, that's the guy. Oh, that's the guy that bombed. Dude, I've had that. That's the guy. I've had that. <laughs> so I stayed in my room, come back two days later. And so I got a new set written out. I'm ready to go. I, I, I know my tribe and watching the news. I got some shit on the city. Yeah. And come to find out everybody bombed. Oh, yeah. All eight new faces was like that fucking crowd, and I go, what? What happened? I hit, I didn't know. It. They said, dude, we all bombed, and yeah. I went, oh. So now the second night was better. It's not like I killed, but it was average. And then uh, guy Tory missed his flight, and they said, hey, can you stay an extra day do the urban night? And I go, fuck yeah, I can. Like that was my audience. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I went up urban night, and that's where I got I got to deal with Quincy Jones out of Montreal. Quincy came up to me afterwards and just said, you're funny. And I was like, great. Get a phone call a week later. Said, Quincy wants to meet with you. So I go to his house. We meet. And he says, I saw all four of your sets. Oh, my way. God. You're and like, I go, what? No, there's he another goes, white guy. We all look alike. Right. <laughs> so this is what he said. He goes, I saw you bomb. He goes, then I saw you come back two days later and did better with a different five minutes. Then I saw you do the Urban Room. And you did two different sets that night. He goes, so I saw you do four different sets. He goes, and it was like a roller coaster. Like you was, you went down, but then you, you got yourself back up. He goes, and I saw you adjust. He goes, and that's what I liked. So the bomb actually helped me get the TV deal with Quincy. And even though the TV show didn't go anywhere, it was cool. Honestly, that was one of the best TV deals I had because I kept getting to go to Quincy Jones house. And in the middle of trying to develop a TV show, I'm hearing these, amazing stories of michael jackson and frank sinatra and yeah. you know he's not lying oh yeah he has like, no reason that to guy and there's stories i, I probably wouldn't share because i felt like oh he opened up a little bit yeah you know what i mean and just to see like his house and like he had a wall of grammys not like one it was just a wall yeah of nothing but grammys and just the stories that he opened up and shared with me i was like but chicken we were talking about chicken so i got sidetracked chicken uh i saw him get the deal and he ripped and then we had dinner right after he ripped that night. And he goes, yo, I've been waiting to meet you. Because he was like the other white guy doing the urban rooms. Yeah. And uh, and so we talked. And then he, he got the the hype, the show Hype on Fox was his Him show. And Frank Caliendo. Frank Caliendo and Shayma Tosh was on Shayma that. She's a, she was a San Diego comedian that came okay. up with me and Bobby Lee. So she was on the show. And then, you know, then he got, we well, got Triple X. Did Triple and X Black and Hawk Down? He had a small part. He was on Black Hawk Down. Yeah, so he was doing his thing. Like you, you keep tabs on those guys that you're in Montreal with, basically. And then one day, and then I was like, "What?" And then I remember asking somebody, "What? Whatever happened to him?" And then somebody said, "Yo, he moved back to Georgia, and he was like selling used cars, is what I heard." And I was like, "Really?" No, he was from Florida. He was from. Uh, he was from Florida. Yeah, yeah but he, he was, was from like Dunellen, or. Uh, he was from a bad, like not a bad, I say bad, but I grew up in Florida. And so it's like, it's like parts of Ohio, you know, there's parts of Ohio that where you're like, where you're like, oh, this is not really Ohio. This is more Kentucky. Yeah. And you're like, oh, that's, um, but 
He was from Florida, uh, and I guess he was going back on the road. He was starting to go back? He was starting to go back on the road, and was just like, fuck this, and hung himself. Hung himself, uh, right? Yeah. In the woods? I don't know. Behind an elementary school or some shit, man? I you was know, like, so many of us, Chicken was such a, for anyone listening, Chicken was such a pivotal part of this business, because he represented he represented the, the, the iceberg in the ocean that the industry ran into and they gave him like a big deal. I think it was like $750,000 mm-hmm. and, uh, and his show didn't go anywhere. And that's when, and that's when there, there was a plethora of channels. What was happening, a lot of things were happening at that time. There was a ton of channels. So there was like a ton of different networks. Um, and they created, I, I, man, I, I, I put too much weight on this, but they created a camera called the uh, the GL1 and the XLR2. Uh, Canon did. I think those are the two exact names. I'm not certain, but and what they could do is they rec- could record uh, film video on DV tapes. So all of a sudden, making television became extremely inexpensive. If you bought these two cameras, the XLR1 was like a thousand, like five thousand dollars, and the GL2 was like. 1200 so networks were buying them uh yeah no production companies were. production companies were buying and them. so production companies were shooting stuff on them and it looked like television mm-hmm. and it's by the way it's television that you know today mm-hmm. is that same format um and as soon as that happened it changed the game and that's when and reality was blowing up mm-hmm. and chicken was the last guy the last one that everyone goes oh he ru-, they say he ruined the deal because after chicken they didn't give any more deals because it so he, wasn't, he wasn't ready, you think, for oh, that? I saw him, not to talk ill of the dead, but uh, I was with Reno Collier. Remember Reno? Yeah. I was with Reno Collier at the Laugh Factory. Reno was friends with Chicken. And uh, he went up to do a set in front of a packed house, all industry there to see him. Chicken An- did. Yeah, Chicken did. Anthony Clark had come over to see him. Anthony Clark was sitting on yeah, the top. Man. And man, it was... Brutal? Uh, a really uncomfortable like it was a clear like there are guys like this is gonna seem like a slam it's not but like nick swartzen at the time was very high energy and goofy and silly but he had great jokes yeah he had really great jokes so you were like even with all that silliness you still went i wish i had written that and chicken mm-hmm. just was like you guys seen titanic i want to be in titanic i want to be i want to be the girl though and like he just stood on a stool and and then like it was just there was nothing there and he had a lot of attitude like, well, his his set in Montreal was it 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 was the opposite of that. He got set up perfect. Really, like the person before him was low energy, and and the material was okay. Yeah, and he just came out like boom, like almost like the crowd, like we want some high energy, but they weren't getting it yet. Yeah, and he came out, he was dancing, and he literally when the audience started grinding on this woman, and she ate it up, and the crowd, you know, and they just. And took off. Honestly, my my deal out of Montreal, my TV show with Quincy, if it would have went, I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready. I, w- I wasn't ready to be was, the lead did, of a sitcom. I had to deal with Will Smith. If that had gone, taken off, I was definitely not ready because yeah. not only that, I had like five opportunities after that I wasn't ready for. I have one of the worst. I, I guarantee I have one of the worst um, stories about losing your own TV show off a table read. I'd like to hear that. Was, was, I had a deal with uh, Yvette Lee Bowser and Warner Brothers mm-hmm. about is 2001. Who's Yvette Lee Bowser? Yvette Lee Bowser created Living Single okay. and created um, 
the one with Holly, the one with Holly Robinson, Pete. Uh, she's had about three shows in syndication. Yeah, Living Single was the big one though. Right? Living Single was with Queen Latifah. Yeah, and Kim yeah. Fields and and Overton. So I had a deal with her. So we uh, we the networks passed, but we didn't take it to like UPN and WB. We thought we're going with the big networks with this one. Yeah. But then UPN wanted to see it, and UPN re really wanted to be in business with the vet. So she goes, okay, we're going to take it to UPN, but we, we're going to have it cast it. We're going to have it ready to go. So when they say yes, we're ready, we're ready to go. Yeah. So we do the table read. So Holly Robinson, Pete's playing my wife. Um, uh, Essence Atkins was, uh, the sister. It was, it was a good cast and I never did a table read before. So I thought you had to memorize the script. I didn't know you oh just read God. the script. Oh my so God. So I'm literally for a week studying this script and I thought I thought it was like an audition. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, okay, I'm ready, 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 ready. <laughs> so we go in and I'm I've got eighty I'm in eighty percent of the scenes. So I got my shit closed. Like, I'm ready to go. We got to about page eight. Oh my I god. I started to stumble oh my god, and I went I'm fucking uncomfortable. Oh. So I'm literally scrambling to find oh what page we're on. And I'm like this. This one also knew everyone's kind of, they won't tell you if you're terrible. Yeah. I mean, I blew it. I, it was awful table read. I was, I was the weak link and, and we get done and everybody clapped. Great job, everybody. Great job. I go into a vet's office and she goes, what happened? And I go, I don't, I didn't know you were allowed to read it. I thought you had to memorize it. So I thought I had to, I've been spending all week trying to memorize 35 pages of dialogue. Yeah. And then she not goes, running it with anybody, not running with anybody. Right. So long story short, they casted Jason Bateman as Gary Owen. Really? And luckily the pilot didn't go anywhere because in the midst of them, UPN was like, we got this other show we want you to do. And she ended up doing the other show with, um, God, I can't, I think it was called Holly Robinson. Pete was in it. Like, uh, I know this show. I can't remember. It was on for five years on UPN. Yeah, I know. Chico Bennyman was in it. Uh, um, the girl. Uh, For Your Love. For Your Love. Yeah, thank you. For Your Love. Were you a that big was the UPN show. fan? No, I, just, I had a full oh, oh, That yeah. was the show she ended up doing. So my show. And I go, what happens if I don't, my show goes. And she goes, well, we're going to ask for you to be back on it. But if not. You'll still get like based on the standup and a created by credit. Oh, I said, and I remember thinking at the time, Jason Bateman, what the fuck's he been doing? Yeah, and now <laughs> like, you look at him like, like 2001. He literally, I was like, you got Jason Bateman? Where, where's he been? You know, I remember yeah. thinking that. But I, yeah, I was oh, lost my own TV show. So off wait, the table read. So wait, when <clears throat> did you grow up in Ohio, Cincinnati? You grew yeah. up in Cincinnati. All over. You know, I, I grew up in a trailer park. That's not a lie in my act. Yeah. It was Island Lake Drive Mobile Community in McGonagall, Ohio is where I grew up. Wow. It's right out. It sits in between Hamilton and Oxford, Ohio, where Miami of Ohio is at, the university. Yeah. So my high school was was a bunch of farmers, trailer parks, and then college professor kids. It was a, it was a oh, weird yeah, dynamic. That, okay, yeah. It was, yeah. A, it was an odd dynamic. So even though we were probably one of the one of the poorest um, um, school districts. It didn't come across like that because it was it was the 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 statistics were messed up because we had so many college professor kids at the school, but eight percent of the school was was broke kids. Really? Know? So what did you? 
What was your? Did your brothers and sisters? Yeah, I got um, six. What? Six. But you know, none of them were full. My mom and dad had me in high school, so I had one brother. I had two brothers. One passed away a couple years ago of a heroin overdose. I heard. And my I heard about other brothers that. in prison for using and dealing heroin. So my two brothers are kind of gone. One's dead and one's in prison. Really? I yeah. Just, I, what? And then you have sisters too, and they're. I got. Um, yeah, I got. I got one. Yeah, the girls ended up okay. I got my now my dad's side. Um, he's fine. He he married my two sisters. Went to college. They played co- uh, soccer. One went to Oakland University in Detroit, and the other one went to Finley University in Finley, Ohio. Um, one's an engineer with with General Motors, and the other one is like a guidance counselor. Or something. They're fine. They're doing. How did good. you stay out of drugs? I don't know. Like you know, you grow up. Um, have you heard the book Hillbilly Elegy? Uh-uh. by J.D. Vance. It's pretty. It's a pretty good book. You, you should read it. Ron Howard's about to do a movie on it. Oh, really? Um, What's it called? Uh, <coughs> I might be mispronouncing it, but it's Hillbilly Elegy by J.D. Vance. I'm going to... My wife... See, my wife grew up in a trailer. But they didn't... And it wasn't a trailer park. Like, she grew up poor and rural, so it was just a... They put the trailer on land? Yeah. Some land? And so it was a house. Yeah. But... When you went there, you're like, oh, this is a trailer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they tried a front, put a yeah. front porch on it. Yeah, and you're like... <laughs> little garden. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and you add it on to your trailer. Okay, yeah. that's fine. No, but this is a trailer. We got that, right? <laughs> so funny, my buddy Russ Matthews, his family had money, but they were, you know, they started... I think a lot of people in the South were like, have money, but still grew up poor mm-hmm. and still mm-hmm. looked at the world poor, but although they have money. I think they probably have money when his dad was growing up. But his dad, they, their lake house was a trailer, and but it, they had added on to it. But it was a mm-hmm. trailer. In essence, they had cut in the front yeah. off the trailer. It was um, hillbillyology. My wife would love something like this. J.D. Vance. But it's an insight into the mentality of where I grew up. Because he, he grew up in Middletown, Ohio, which is right next to where I grew up in Oxford, Cincinnati area. Hillbilly Elegy. By J.D. Vance. It was like on the New York Times bestsellers for like a yeah. year. All right, I'm going to forward this to my wife. But it's a. I read it and I was like, oh, it gave me an insight of of how I grew up and how I avoided um, how I avoided drugs because he grew up in a, a similar environment than I did, where I just got lucky, man, because I chose the right friends to hang out with in school. Yeah. So you know, my brothers, they, even though they probably never admit it, but you know, we had we had an abusive stepdad, which is their real dad, and he was mentally abusive. I mean. He, I, I was able to navigate through the world pretty good. Cause you I got the oldest? Yeah, I was a stepson too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was uh early on I got hit a couple times and, and saw the anger and I went, Okay, I gotta I gotta figure this out so I don't get beat up. So I was like, I figured it out. I figured out how to navigate around him to not trigger him to really? to go off, you know? Cause there was a there was a Christmas morning that it's awful. So I'm ten my brother's two, the one that passed away. So he wakes me up and says, Gary Santa Claus came. So I go, okay. So we get up out of bed and there's there's presents under the tree. I said, okay, we can't open the presents yet, but we can we can get in the stockings. So he's like, okay. So he's two. We don't know. So he's got his stocking out. He's playing. And I, I got my stocking down and there was these old NFL sticker books and I had some NFL stickers was in my stocking. So I'm just putting the stickers in my sticker book. And my stepdad wakes up. And he comes over and just open hand 
doesn't say nothing, just smacks me off this bar stool. Bam! And I'm, I fly off. And he goes, you fucking ruined Christmas! So I run to my room and I'm crying. And I got this fucking red mark on my cheek. So I'm lost. I don't know what I did. Yeah. So my mom, about 30 minutes later, goes, Gary, you can come out. Rod's not mad anymore. So I come back out. And now my, my little sister's there. My brother's there. It looks like a normal Christmas. Like it never happened. And he goes, you know, I did that, right? And I went, yeah. I got no fucking clue why you did it. Yeah. Right? Well, come to find out, he didn't get to see his son's face when he saw the presents under the tree. And I was like, well, he woke me up, you know? But that was his reason for smacking me and ruining Christmas was he didn't get to see his son's face. And my thing was, when my brother woke me up, I was thinking I wanted to let them sleep. My mom said that because I figured they were up putting these gifts out acting like Santa Claus yeah. is coming you know I hope you don't have any like 8 year olds I'm ruining Christmas no right no now. my daughters That's just nice. found out and they're <laughs> fucking 14 and 12 oh <laughs> uh, we have ruined my kids yeah so that was from that 10 years old I was like okay I, I know what triggers him and then, so I was like I was able to navigate around what getting a shitty hit way to be a kid though yeah he there was a lot of instances where he was uh, you know there was he just a lot of irrational behavior, I call it. Like, like I could, you know, I could go on and on. But the thing about it is, they say all good comedy comes from pain, and your comedy is your defense mechanism. That's our, that's our Superman cape. Yeah. And I never looked at it like that. I thought I'm just funny. I never, I didn't, I didn't go through anything. Then when my brother died, I had to really take a look at myself and be like, oh shit, my stand up was the reason I didn't do drugs. Me making kids laugh in high school and being a class clown. Yeah. That's what that's what it was for me. I didn't gravitate to drugs and alcohol. I was like, I just want to make people laugh. And going to school was my escape. So I didn't want to do anything to not be in school. The reason I played sports was I sucked. I sucked at football, wrestling, uh, baseball. I was, I was pretty much terrible and everything. I was good enough to make the team, but not really make an impact on the team. Yeah. So maybe I didn't suck. Maybe I was average, but I just did it. So I didn't have to come home, you know? And I was like, okay, anything to keep me out of the trailer and, and him. Cause it was like a dark. Did he drink? Play. Yeah, he drank, but he was, he was in a good mood when he drank. It was, I think the drinking took his pain away and he was a nice guy when he drank. It was and the then opposite. When he didn't drink, he was nasty. Sober. Oh, he was a, he was a, you know, and his thing was, you don't know what rough is. Like, and oh, I'm sure yeah. your childhood was rougher than mine. I have no doubt. But, you know, he, he always looked at it like, Gary ain't that bad. You and know? Did, did your mom and him stay married? They're still together. She'll never leave him. Really? I've offered numerous times. I said, you know, How are you and him now? I haven't, I haven't spoken to him or my mom in probably four years. Since my brother passed. Oh, really? I, I wasn't speaking to him before. And... Cause I did an article on Buzzfeed uh-huh. and it was an eight page article on just on how there's a white guy that's huge in the black standup circuit. And how did that happen? How was the article was, how is a white guy, one of the largest urban acts in the country? How did that happen? That is a great question. Yeah. That and I would love to get to the bottom of <laughs> because it is because there's like, I'm not to derail this. Cause I want to keep talking about your mom and dad. Don't, don't let me not go in that direction, mm-hmm. but there's, a guy in my life, his name is Miles Mosley, who for some reason has just, black people have always loved him. Loved him. Like mm-hmm. our freshman year, he got he got put, there were two floors of boys. One was black and one was white. 
freshman year of college. Uh, why in the was dorms? For, yeah, in the dorms. They say, I know that sounds crazy that people are like, that's impossible. It's very possible. This is Florida really, State? Yeah, Florida okay. State. They had segregated the two floors. Uh, that floor was also, they were all football players. They were all there for summer school and, and playing football. And we were all just dumb white kids who were there for summer school because we couldn't get in. Mm -hmm. They read, I, I always say they misread his name, Miles Mosley, and thought he was black and put him on the black floor. But he was the one white guy on the black floor. And man, to this day, I've, I've never seen a guy be adored more by black people in general other than you. Like, and, mm -hmm. and so I, and always, I'm always curious to that because I always want black people to like me, but I feel like I'm always trying too hard and they can <laughs> sniff it out. They're like, we get it. We get it. You still sing the N word. We get it. Like, you yeah. know, but yeah. so wait, go back to, so the Buzzfeed article came out and did you say something about your parents? Well, yeah, it's an eight page article and a paragraph of it. The guy says, um, I said, my stepdad's an asshole. I said, my stepdad's an asshole. And, uh, I didn't really get into it, but that's, that's what they grabbed. That was the first time I think somebody had let the cat out the bag. Like you spoke against rod oh and fuck you gotta you know and my mom said she you know my mom stopped talking to me and what happened was she came home and my rum brother that died he was the one that was still talking to me he's like we're good you know we're I, regardless of the bullshit we're good and uh my other brother the one's in prison now he came at me like how dare you you embarrass mom and this family and everything and you're like and my mom park. <laughs> right that's why and in your step that was in prison how did i embarrass the family i'm yeah. employed yeah you know and then he said uh my mom i guess came home and had said uh i can't believe i gave birth to this monster talking about me and said i want all his pictures taken down in the house and he is he is dead to me dude that's redneck elegy right there right because that's my what happened to my wife my wife With her family crossed her mom crossed her mom and her mom burned all her childhood pictures. Well, you know what it comes from. Where's your wife from? Georgia. Georgia. Georgia Where on that, the border of Alabama. That, the, that mentality is, um, you know, what it stays in a, what happens in a house stays in the house, and you're not allowed to talk about it to anybody. Yeah. And if you do, you're ostracized from the family, regardless of right or wrong. And they come up with this alternative reality that they're like, no, 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 it's. It's the goes the whole blood thicker than water, family over everything. That's no. Yeah. You have crazy family members. And, yeah. And you got two ways to deal with it. You can talk about it, go to therapy, get help, and open the lines of communication and admit you weren't perfect, and work on it. Or you can just stay in denial and be like, no, you're not going to speak on him, and then you're exiled from the family. And that's what happened. That's I mean that's where it came from. You know what I mean? is I did one paragraph in a BuzzFeed article, and that was it. And then my brother dies, and when he died, of course, funeral? yeah, my mom finally called me. Hadn't talked to her in about a year, she calls me. And and then you try to make up, you try, but it still was, it was, it was there, you know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, what happened was, there was a custody battle for my, my brother's daughter. And the guardian that lied him, who was in charge of the, the daughter. You know what that means? Uh -uh. The courts assign a lady who's impartial. She is, her job is to figure out baby mama or my mom and stepdad get the baby. So she's impartial. And she called me. She goes, no, she sent me a Facebook message. She said, I know this is, sounds weird, but I'm actually in charge of this custody battle that I don't know is going on. 
and she goes, um, I just found out, are you, are you Dallas Randall's brother? Because we got different last names. Yeah. And I messaged her back. I said, yeah. She goes, is it possible for us to meet for coffee or at a public place? Um, I, I had no idea you were related to him. So I meet with her, and she basically says, you know, there's a custody battle going on. I didn't, there's no picture of you in the house. I've been at your mom's house like 15 times. Yeah. And the only thing she ever said is my oldest son left home when he was 17. And that's all she brought up. And she goes, I'm not comfortable with either household getting this baby. She goes, so I think I might recommend an emergency removal. If that happens, she goes into foster care. And I said, that, that can't happen. I'll take her if that's what you're getting at. Yeah. So I talked to my wife and he's like, yeah, we'll take her. So we go to, to a Target and get a car seat. We're getting our house ready because we think they're going to remove it. The judge said, baby's not in any physical danger. You know, she's, she's going to stay where she's at. But my mom and stepdad saw my name signed, I will take her if they remove her. Oh, this all happened Jesus. in less than a day. So I don't have time to call my mom and tell what's going on. Yeah. So from that, it went, oh, Gary's trying to get custody of the baby behind our back. And really, we were the best option for the baby. Oh, yeah. Without that, Literally, the guardian of lightning came to our house and goes, I want to I wanna stay here. I'd rather stay at this house. She goes, uh, this is a lottery ticket for the baby. Yeah. So, but the text messages I got and the phone calls were so evil from my side of the family. I had to call my wife and say, we can't go after custody. I said, they're going to fuck up our kids. And I said, if we take this, this two-year-old at the time, I go 10 steps forward with us. Every time they go to them, they're going to start putting it in their brain. Like your dad, and you know, Gary's this and my wife's this. And he's going to take seven steps back. And I go, I just can't risk fucking up my kids and my family. Yeah. And it sucks because there's a little girl out there that, you know, I, she's got to have, she's got to have a hell of a spirit and inner resolve to get out of that. And it can happen. I mean, I'm a testament, Yeah. but it, it just sucks because she's my niece and I just can't, I can't risk my own family's peace of mind and safe, safety, honestly. That's fucking crazy. So did you leave home at 17? Yeah, I was. I turned yeah seventeen. Yeah. I joined you, the navy right after high school. Just joined the navy. Yeah, Shut immediately. The fuck up. You know that's like I. I only hear about that in movies. That no, like my mom was, had to sign off to to say I could go. Really? You got to be seventeen to join it. You got to be seventeen. Yeah. And I, and now it sounds crazy. I joined the navy to be a stand up because I didn't take the SAT. I didn't take the ACT. I just said I told people in high school. My guidance counselor. I said I'm gonna be a stand up. I'm yeah. a stand up. And if you're not going to college, I said, no, I don't, I don't need that. I need, I'm going to be a stand up. And my thought process was if I join the Navy, they have the big bases in California. And I thought all of California was LA. I thought David yeah. Lee Roth, California girls, the whole state is LA. Yeah. But I was like, okay, I get stationed in San Diego and then I can start doing stand up. So my first two years, I was in the honor guard in Washington, DC. We did the funerals and parades. Ooh. And even then I was telling people, I'm going to be a stand-up. Yeah. I was telling people, like Martin was on at the time. I go, I'm going to have a show like that. And I remember a bunch of us Navy guys sitting around one night and they was like, what if you won a million dollars, like the lottery? And guys was like, I told Navy, kiss my ass, I do this. I said, I'm going to make a million dollars. Yeah, Guys, I'm, and I'm, they go, how the fuck are you going to do that? I go, stand-up, I'm going to make a million dollars. Like it was like, there wasn't a doubt. Yeah. And then my first day in San Diego, I, I finally get out here. So I go to, I'm in the honor guard for two years. I go to the police academy because I was, I was a cop, a military cop. I was a, I went to the police academy in San Antonio, Texas. 
I get out to San Diego. So I'm active duty military, but I'm doing stand up on the side. So I call this place called the Comet Castle in San Diego. And I say, hey, you guys got open mic? He goes, hold on, let me check. And I go, huh? So he gets on the phone five minutes later. He goes, I can't find him. And I go, what do you mean you can't find him? He goes, I can't find, who's he with? I called a comic book store. This dude was looking for a superhero named oh Open Mike. Oh, my God. <laughs> and I'm lost. I'm like this. What are you talking about? And then he goes, what What's are you he talking do? about? What's he do? Right? He goes, I can't find him on the Hall of Justice or nothing. Yeah. And then, uh, so he tells me, he goes, man, no, this is a comic book store. So then he gives me the number to the comedy store in La Jolla. And then I called, and that's what happened when I got thrown out. Like, yeah. a week, you know, it, I, it took me like two weeks to get on stage calling for, because Sunday nights was open mic. But that's where I saw Bobby Lee and Darren Carter my first night up. And that's why I said when I started doing stand-up, it was two different worlds. I had the urban side where I would do the black rooms and the karaoke spots and shit. But then I'd also, I'd still sit in the back of the comedy store. I'd just pay admission and watch these guys. Oh, yeah. And then I had to go back after I got banned for a year. Mm-hmm. I went back and finally begged. I said, hey, I've been doing stand-up and I know all your guys now. And I think they can vouch for me. I said, I, I fucked up. I shouldn't have did that. I said, but I, you know, I'm sorry. And the guy that was running the comedy store at the time was, I think his name was Fred. He had the crutches. He didn't walk right. Yeah. He like won the hundred thousand dollars on America's Funniest Home Videos. Oh, All the really? San Diego comics knew him. Yeah. Bobby Lee knows him. Darren Carlin, yeah. but can't remember his name. But he was he was the gatekeeper of uh, of La Jolla. You had to get through Fred yeah. to get through. And and he finally said, all right, I'm gonna give you five minutes on Sunday. And if you're funny then you can start coming back. If not, that's it. So luckily, he thought my five minutes was funny, and he goes, all right, Gary, you're good, and I ended up having a great relationship with everybody over there after that. Wow. So wait, how did you get out of the Navy? I don't, I don't know anything about military service at all. Well, I, when I got to San Diego, um, I, got, I, had, I had four years left on my enlistment. So, so when you sign up, what did they get, give you, like eight years? Four. I signed up for four. Oh, yeah. Then I went to the police academy, and I had to do a 18- or 19-month extension. Because once you graduate the police academy, they need three years out of you. Because they basically spent money on training you to be a cop. Yeah, so and they so want you could, their you three could go years. over and be an, a regular cop. Most guys are going to be a regular cop yeah. coming out of the military like that. And so I still had, when I get to San Diego, I still had at least three years of active duty service left. But I'm doing stand-up on the side while I'm there and uh I finally went up to um Ellie I got I, I found out where they were having BET comic view auditions so at this time I'm usually getting off work at about four and I'm driving to LA to do like five minutes a- anywhere I could a comedy act theater uh Mavericks flat <laughs> uh any hole in the wall bars I look back at that I look back at that time in my life and go what well, I I couldn't do it now. Well, you're older now. I know, but like I look back at that and go, "What was in? What was wrong with me?" That- See, I, I'm different, Bert. Oh, I miss it. Oh, I, I miss. Oh, I don't miss that. I miss the adrenaline rush of calling <laughs> the club and be like, "Yeah, you got five minutes, Gary." What? I'm I'm on the list. It was like holy shit. And I used to lie. I used to get off work at like four four thirty, go straight from work, get in my. I had an S10 Chevy pickup drive up to LA for whatever five minute spot I could get and then drive back down. I got to be at work back at work 6 a.m. And I would, I would sleep. There was a, a, a it was either Walmart or Kmart in Dana Point. So if I ever, if I ever got tired, I knew that was a safe neighborhood. Yeah. And I know I could pull my pickup truck in there and sleep for like a half hour just to get home. 
But then I started lying to guys <laughs> that I was in the military with. I would lie to them and be like, yo, I saw Jim Carrey last night. I saw Chris Rock last night. No, he, yeah, they, they're yeah. always there. They're like, dude, I'm gonna ride with you. They just wanna see celebrities. Then we get there and be like, I didn't see nobody. I go, yeah. weird night. <laughs> weird night, it's off. It's you off know? tonight, yeah. It's not like we was at the comedy store. I was like, oh, weird night. You yeah. know, we was like at Dublin's. <laughs> God damn. But I would do that three days out of the week. And just, and then the weekends I would, I would always come up and just stay on people's couches just to get my name out there. But I, 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 I you know, that was to me, I don't have the, the feature and hosting road stories where you're, you're on the road for a month making $300 a week. And then you come back to LA with $1,200 or something like that. Yeah. Cause I was active duty. I couldn't do that, but I felt like I quote unquote paid my dues by those drives. Oh, those you three know, or four days out of the week, whatever the, the whatever, <laughs> whatever paying your dues means. I, I know that I think that was chicken's biggest hiccup was that there were people in LA who didn't feel like he paid his dues. There were people who were going up every night at the improv that had never heard of him and didn't feel like he paid his dues, but he paid his dues in a different way. But I think that was the slight on him was that he didn't pay his dues. I know that that's what people hold over everyone's head. Mm -hmm. Oh, you never paid your dues. <clears throat> Dude, anyone who's driving fucking two hours to go do five minutes. At Four dude. hours because you're up and yeah, back. Yeah, 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 back and forth. I did, I paid my dues in like 19 different ways. And and oh, I, no. I really honestly think that's why most comics don't begrudge my success. Like they go, and I'm not saying I'm like super fucking successful, but they go, oh, if it can happen for Bert, it can happen for me. You know, because yeah. I, I worked the door at the Boston Comedy Club. Uh, I fucking hosted. I featured. I headlined B clubs. I did, <coughs> I did all the shit. I had kids when I was poor. Like all the yeah. shit that is supposed to, that happens to comics and then people go, oh, that guy's a failure. That all yeah. happened to me. And then I had a TV show. I got fired from it. Uh, had to start all over from scratch. Like tw three times that happened to me. Yeah. And so I think most people are like, oh, I'm glad that, I think they go, people always like to be able to judge themselves. Like, so I just read this article about this woman saying, they said Nora Ephron, the big, uh, she did like, I think, I don't know what, I don't know who she has to be dead honest with you, but I know the name. But she didn't get famous until, or start working until she was 51. And then people, like people are going, oh, I'm 41. That that makes sense for me. Yeah. I think people like those stories. You know, I know yeah, I do. Who doesn't? Gene who Hackman doesn't? didn't get famous until he was 51. What? Morgan Freeman didn't get a leading role until he was like 50. Oh my God. Lean on me. That is the second time we've had that conversation. And the other time was when Finesse Mitchell said the same thing. I said Gene Hackman. He said Morgan Freeman. Oh, yeah, I'm a black comic. Yeah. <laughs> so wait, so how did how did that start? Oh, the, the blacks thing? But no, but 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 more more so. Like I'm, I, I can see, I can see a natural progression to working urban rooms. This is this is what I always say. You don't, as a stand-up, you don't choose your audience; they choose you. For but and, they but they cut but, but, the, but, but my the, the bookers. Yeah, but my breaks. You gotta realize my breaks. It was all black shit. It was BT's Comic View. Every movie I've been in had a black lead actor. Yeah, you know, uh, every TV show I was on, it was a black sitcom. But how, like, how does that, how does that start? Like, so you go and do open mics, and you're just doing regular open mics. But I'm doing er, no, I'm doing all the urban open mics. I'm not see doing, in New York there about, wasn't a huge difference. There was one night no, in New LA York, was different. I yeah, never did New in York. New York. There was one. There were urban rooms in New York that you'd have to seek out, but like the Boston Comedy Club was predominantly urban every night you went up and so like i remember doing an urban night what was it like chocolate Mo better mondays 
at, at the improv. Yeah, D-Ray was running it. Yeah. And I remember going up there and not noticing a huge difference between that and New York mm-hmm. and just doing the same material I did normally, but then realizing, oh, this audience is very different than the New York audience. Yeah. Like you could get by with anything taxi cab like anything that just happened to all of us yeah so dude I, I gotta be honest with you it's a big change in the way i started doing stand-up was around that time i've i've over said this but like i went up and i did like it was just a regular show and then i was just honest i remember i remember the joke that got laughs that night was um you're talking about the d-ray room the, the urban d-ray room. room i went up and i told a joke about uh about queer eye for the straight guy and how they remind it looked like a Dran Dran reunion band. Mm-hmm. And it got nothing. And I went, oh, I forgot the room I was in. <laughs> and then it got a laugh. And I went, oh, there's more of you in here than I than I thought. And then it got a bigger laugh. I go, oh, you guys are sitting in the back too? And it got a big laugh. And then I just kept, and then I just went into like regular material, but I kept going back to anything failed, fucking with the audience. And that was just a, that that's a New York thing in that if you just, if you just kept it real, and it was fine, but I, but to go from like open mic to like I I don't I don't I I will have said this in the intro, but you are literally one of the biggest urban one of the biggest acts in the country, but more so one of the biggest urban acts, but by by and far the largest white comedian to ever perform in front of black people ever 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 yeah that there no one will ever. That will never, no one will get that, ever get that opportunity. It will never happen again. It is an anomaly. It is an anomaly that every comic respects, notices, and is like, like, but how? Like, how does that fucking happen? I know. How does it happen on the, on the road aspect? Like when you go and do Richmond for the first time, where, how do black people find you? And then when you like, like, and, and more importantly, how does it happen with you? Like, do you, like... That's impossible for Daniel Tosh. That would never happen for Daniel Tosh. Mm-hmm. He just didn't know that many black people. Yeah. But like, did you grow up knowing black people? No. Uh, I mean, obviously you know black people, but uh, I don't even, man. I, I remember watching Def Jam and saying, that's the reaction I want when I do. I, before I'd ever told a joke, I remember I would watch stand up and I would go, I'm funnier than him. I'm funnier than her. And then I'd see guys that were good and I go, oh, that guy's good. Yeah. You know? And I had never been on stage yet. And then I remember seeing <laughs> Def Jam. <laughs> like, I, I just knew. Like, Stand up's the only time, the only thing in the world that people do that with. They never do that with basketball, with track no. and field. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I, I remember I was a junior in high school and, and, and you know, I don't, I, this sense of like calm came over me because I'm in this chaotic household, got this abusive stepdad. And I remember thinking, I'm going to be okay. I'm gonna be on TV. I'm gonna be a stand-up. That's like, fucking like crazy. In me, like this sense of calm, like you're fine. Yeah. You're gonna be fine. You just gotta get out of the house. That's why I kept saying, I just gotta get out of high school and I gotta get out of the house. And the yeah. Navy said, We can get you out of here next week. I was like, in. Yeah. I can get to California. And so eventually in, in the Navy, did you hang out with just whoever? You everybody. Know? Like it wasn't just black dudes. No, everybody. I think well, then, people assume you grew up with black guys. No, no. You, uh, that you only, only hung Have out you with you seen my guys. high school? Everybody's like, you went there? It is FFA. It's Future Farmers of America. Yeah. You know, it's 4-H. It's, you know, I just went to my high school uh, last week to go to a high school football game. There's one black guy on the team. 
There's one black guy. Yeah. And he moved into the district. He yeah. didn't grow up there. Yeah. <laughs> and they got him playing everything. Yeah. That kid is the wide receiver, the running back. I think he took the ball to himself at one point. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I I saw Def Jam and I go, that's the reaction I want. Yeah. So maybe in a in a subconscious way, my stand-up was always gonna head that way to do racial humor. But, you know, I, I got on Comic View and then, you know, I I can't explain it either, man. It just I can always I can only say like the the TV appearances I had was Def Jam was Shilton at the Apollo was was BET's Comic View. I never Comedy Central has always said no. I've never been on Comedy Central. You know, HBO's always said no. Netflix has has always said no. They but for whatever reason, Showtime's always the last 5 6 years always said, "Yeah, you can do it." Yeah. You know, and I I don't know. I can't when I when I go to cities. I mean, I'm doing all the urban radio stations. I wish I I wish you you know. Wish but when you, could you first say started it. headlining, that first round of offers where you start going on the road, mm-hmm. did they know you were going to sell sell urban? Well, yeah, well, you know, because my first round was me hosting Comic View, and it was like I was the first white. They the say first. host, but I'm the first on air personality on that network. Yeah, and so. That's when I started getting offers and I was getting, I wasn't getting improvs. I was getting, you know, the, they call it the chitlin circuit, but I was getting the, the, the black rooms, the Virginia house of comedy, the, the, what is it? The, uh, I, I do the, the comedy one. houses in Columbia and Augusta. One, I do the Savannah. one in Baltimore. The Baltimore comedy. Yeah. Oh, that's one of my biggest markets. Yeah. That one, that, oh my God. Cleveland improv. The, Cleveland improv. Houston Cleveland improv. improv. Cleveland, Houston improv. Yeah. I do two weeks there. I'm doing two weeks there in two weeks. Like, really? I, I was like, I don't want to do 18 shows in one weekend, so I'll do back to back weekends instead. Now, do you go home? I'll in go home middle? in between Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and I'll That's come back on Thursday. Crazy. Um, so I'll just do two weekends, Houston, instead of doing three shows Saturday, three shows Friday, three shows Sunday. But that, but I don't. I'm just do you, for the do, listener. Let me ask you this: Being a mainstream comic, yeah. like you are, is it? I I, I sometimes think. Uh, I don't. I, and I don't know. The I do some of the 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 white comics look at me like, like oh he's uh he's just pandering and and no. I don't know how they look at me. I don't. I don't no, know. the only videos the only videos I I've ever seen of you online, but it's only that I'd get into is always you de- dealing with hecklers. Like oh, yeah. it's like it's like that's but that's just more my like I don't go and watch people's acts. It's like yeah. Like I'll just go and watch people. But I don't think I don't think anyone thinks that. I think people go like. Like fuck! How did I honestly think most people go? How did that happen? Yeah, it just is a weird like because what happens in this business? I say this for people listening, but when you do two cities, when you do one city weekend back to back, that is a huge testament to your appeal. Usually with your people, like Fluffy does it. Fluffy does Ontario. I remember when I first started, Fluffy would do Ontario. Uh, Gabriel Glacius would do Ontario uh, weekend of back-to-back, just back-to-back weekends. And then it started going like back-to-back weekends, and he'd also do shows uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Yeah. And Joe then Coy. two shows on, yeah, Joe Coy. Killing and, it. and it's just Russell Peters. But to yeah. be the guy from the outside doing it, the guy that's not, but to have love in a culture that, that's not yours. That's not yours is almost. Un- no, it's unheard of. Yeah. Especially with black people. This is the fucking thing I'll say about black people. And I I know that are I know they're listening. They are not the best audiences. 
predominantly, they are not the most like forgiving audiences. Now, if you're a crossover act and you're black and you play just a white comics, white audiences, totally get it. It is so hard being a white comic performing in front of black people. It just is so... They dislike you the second you get no, on stage. See? Not they, you. Not you. Okay, Bert. Let me, okay, let me try to correct you on that one. I always say black audiences have no skeletons in the closet. Okay. And I think a lot of times white comics, they get intimidated oh, because it is a black hardcore, audience. Hardcore. But like you said, what I've noticed, if you go up there and you're yourself, you do the same material, I don't care how you deliver it, do the same material, and if it doesn't work, acknowledge it, that's all they want. I think yeah. black audience, they just be like, hey man, you're flawed, you're human, we get yeah. it. And it's almost, I, I look at it, all. I always looked at it like, I've never been like judged or had backlash on the internet, social media, from from black people because of a racial joke or a special needs joke or anything like that. Yeah. The only people, why do I do a racial joke and, and the white guy's offended? I'm like, why are you offended? The black people dude, aren't. Dude. And I'm like this, uh, you know, I, I had to go to, I had to go to DC and meet with special needs advocates because I did a special Olympics joke and I had Maria Shriver and all these advocates coming after me because I said they were retarded on stage. And I went, you're going to have to go after every comic eventually. They are, they are actually. You know they what I mean? They definitely are. They went after my buddy, Tom Segura. Yeah, they went aggressively. after Aggressively. Yeah, me too. Yeah, that's fun. I I, and what I, what I realized is those groups like that, they just hone in and you get in their crosshairs and they're like, and really what it comes to, they just want money. They want a donation. Yeah. They, you know, they wanted to say they won because the best, the best, <laughs> the best was this one lady sent me a, a, a tweet or a DM and she was like, I can't believe you did that. I have a special needs son. He's, he's the biggest blessing. He's given me so much joy and I hope karma kicks you in your ass. And one day you have a child that has special needs. So I said, so you want me to have joy? And the greatest blessings in life. Is that what you want? Oh, that was and fucking... she, she sent me back. She goes, fuck you. That's what she said. <laughs> That's fucking crazy that she would say how happy she is and then hope that you. That but you is... know what it is? Yeah. And they don't want to admit it. And this is this is the honest God truth. Me dealing with these advocates and special needs. When I had to go through that shit, I when went through. When did that happen? Um, two years ago. And what happened? Did you tell a joke in your Showtime special? I have a special needs cousin. I have a retarded cousin. Yeah. And uh, I said it real low. I have a retarded cousin. Special needs. And I've talked about her in my act numerous times. And I've changed the name. I don't want to say her name, but in my act, her name's Tina. Yeah. It's not a real name. But, and I, I talk about Tina a lot. Like, she's a, she's a big part of my life, especially when people come to see me. They're like, how's your cousin Tina doing? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And... They, uh, all I talked to, I, I talked about, and this is a true story. We're at a family reunion and she, you know, my cousin got a, got a STD and the whole family was like, can you believe that? Can you believe she got an STD? And I'm going, she's fucking, yeah. that was my thing. Like who, who gave it to her? Yeah. And then found out her boyfriend's special needs. So he gave it to her. So he's fucked somebody else. So I do this whole joke about how was the courting how did they get into bed? You know, yeah. it's it's not brilliant humor, but it's funny. And they got wind of it and they, they, they just came after me. I was the perfect level of celebrity because I wasn't big enough that I could just be like, fuck you. Yeah. But I was, I was big enough that it would create a media. They could get some media off of it. 
Really? You know, and I had to fly to DC and meet with these people and all their advocates. And what I, what I came to realize is from the parents that sent me ugly messages and, and everything, I think what it is, is the parents of special needs kids, they, they probably feel shortchanged. They're probably like, I did everything right in my life. And now, even though I love this son or daughter, now I'm with this person for the rest of my life. Then there's no 18, there's no 21. You're leaving home. You're with this person, and I think they're frustrated to some extent. They love them, and that's their kid. I get it, but there's some frustration there, and they don't know where to direct it. So when you see a comic say retarded or make fun of them, be like, you are not going to make fun of my child, and I'm going to come after you. Yeah. So now they have a place to direct their frustration and their anger. And that's all I can come up with is why are you so mad? You know, and, and the way I used to describe it is like, I didn't put my cousin down. I didn't say I got a retarded cousin. And I put her down. I was just describing her. I got a cousin, Joey. He's tall. I'm just describing yeah, my yeah. cousin, Joey. He's tall. I got a cousin, Tina. I said, she's retarded. I didn't put her down. I didn't yeah. say I'm better than her. I didn't say I don't love her. You know, and I think that's where the frustration comes from. They're like, you know, I'm, I'm, this is a financial uh, emotional. This is a toll on me for the rest of my life, and and to the extent of when I'm gone, then what happens to my child? That's a toll. Like that's way. a bigger toll. Like if I pass away, then my child's really, really out there on their own. It's gotta and, be. It's gotta. It's gotta be. Uh, I mean, I'm fucking. My kids are. I. I can't imagine what they're gonna do when I'm not here. And I guess my kids are what you'd say are fucking just average kids. Mm -hmm. And I can't imagine that they're going to ever get fucking jobs. Yeah, but like, they will. But I know, but they'll it, work Isla, it out. I, I don't even know about Isla. But but yeah, I, I mean, I guess, you know, I, I only got, I was in an all black Cubs riddles in uh, in Chicago. Chicago, yeah. And someone said. Recently? No, this is a, this is a long oh. time ago. And uh, someone said, this is, and this is just how I went through that period of like that someone said uh i was i was bombing it was predominantly black and, and just and like old school italian and someone yells uh yells from the back tell a retard joke and i just didn't have i didn't have one i didn't have any like if i trust me if I'm, I'm being very candid if i had any joke to get out of that fucking situation i would uh i would have told it in a fucking heartbeat <laughs> and i didn't have one and then I, I just said to the audience i said you know what I, I don't have any jokes like that. I have two kids and they're very stressful and they're very tough to deal with. And if you spent your night, uh, uh, your hard earned money to come see me tonight and you have a special needs kid, I wouldn't want to ruin that night for you. So, right. And it gets, I think a lot of people groan or whatever. I get off stage and there is this fucking Italian guy that is maybe six, six fucking 300 pounds. And he's waiting for me in the back. And I'm like, Oh my God. And his wife comes up and she goes, my husband only talks angry. He's not angry. Just, I just want you to know. And I was like, okay. And I walked back and he's like, we just got a kid. He's, he's, a fu he's special needs. Let me tell you something. If you had made a joke about him, I would have ripped your fucking head off. And I went, note to self, never tell a fucking joke. <laughs> I, was, I was like, okay. And that just set precedence for that. I was like, I'll never tell a joke like that. But then there was in Tosh. I saw Tosh had a joke about like, uh, about about the Special Olympics, just destroying it. Yeah, and well, I, and that's why I think that that Italian guy, you know, he's he doesn't know where to direct his anger, and he they feel like 
what I realized when I met those advocates, they, I think they feel like we're protecting them because they always say they can't protect themselves. And my argument with them was, you guys keep telling them they're less than. I don't. I said, I can talk about my cousin Tina because I see her as she's part of my family. Yeah. I go, I go, so stop telling them that they're defenseless. Stop telling them they can't defend themselves. I go, clearly yeah. they can't. I'm sitting here talking to them. It's, it's one of those, like, it's just, I, I don't know. I, 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 there's definitely words I've tried to take out of my language, mm-hmm. but then they're not they're not gone forever. Like even the N word is one of them. Like I don't say the N word. I don't use the N word. But mm-hmm. I, last night I was singing it. I was singing, singing it. Yeah, yeah. Running. I was jogging, listening to Killer Mike. Yeah. And I was like, I was listening to Killer Mike, and then I was listening to Damn, it feels good to be a gangster. I put that on repeat, and it's a ten minute mile. And I was and I just sing it over and over again. I actually thought to myself, and I made a joke about this on my last special, saying. Uh, uh, you can't say it, but I think you can sing it. I even said this. I think I said it to Big Boy from Outcast, and I don't. Not everyone agrees with that. They don't think you can sing it, and, and I understand that. I totally understand that. What are you gonna do? Are you gonna stop me from being in my car singing lyrics that I fucking that are inspiring me and right. getting me pumped up to go work out? Like, yeah. I I don't know. I don't know how to help you. I don't know what you're looking for. Are you looking me for me to be to change all of a sudden? Like, yeah. And even the N word. Or or, or or the F word, faggot. Yeah. Like, I mean, like all these words, it's not, it's not like I didn't ask to ever hear any of them. I wasn't mm-hmm. born with hatred in my heart. It was a word that showed up and you heard and then you're like, and now that word's on you. And it's like, and so it's all I can say is I'll try harder to be better and not say words that mm-hmm. offend people, but I can't promise anything. That's why I told those those advocates when they met with me, they wanted me to put in writing. What? That I would never do a special needs or say that we're retarded again. And I said, I can't do that. I said, what I can do is promise I'll take your feelings into account if I ever do another job. I said, my cousin might do something funny next week. Yeah. I'm not going to say I'm not going to talk about it. And yeah, what are you going to say? My cousin Tina. Well, I do was- a joke. I do a joke now where I go <laughs> after I met with the advocates. I was like, so now I. Oh, like, immediately, as soon as you met with them, you're like, this is going to be a bit. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, by well, the way. Well, the one girl the called it. The one girl goes, I feel like you're going to make fun of us. I go, oh, not immediately. <laughs> but, but like I said, I had to go back to my cousin. And I said, I literally, my cousin Tina, I go, I go, um, what happened? And I go, I had to meet with these advocates because they said they were retarded. And I said, you're retarded. She goes, but I am. I said, no, 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 you're not anymore. You're special needs. She goes, so I'm not. I thought I was retarded. I go, nope, nope, your special needs. <laughs> so I said, she's goddamn confused now because she don't know what she is. Yeah, it's an interesting, uh, it's interesting. It's like this, I, I think, I'm not, I can't remember exactly what Segura's bit was, but it, but I think it was reflective. I think him and Stanhope had very similar bits at the time. And I remember Stanhope's bit a little clearer is that whatever the word that you ask us to say is that's the word we're going to use as a joke right like and that's the word it trickles down isla my daughter my isla my youngest daughter my oldest daughter georgia island georgia were watching uh ace ventura and they're like is he special needs and i was like what and they're like special is he special needs and then georgia goes your special needs to isla and i was like hey hold on guys neither of us can no one can say this and then i was like motherfucker so now special needs is the yeah is the fucking word yeah and it's like you can't you can't stop it. Yeah, you can't you, control it. Yeah, I always say there's. So wait, what was I, the I, end? What was the end of it? You go out there, you meet with them. 
And then, what it was was they, man, they came, you know, they came at me so aggressively because I had the I had the reality show coming out on BET. Oh. So they were like, we're gonna we're gonna contact the sponsors. We're gonna you know we're gonna contact McDonald's and all this other thing. And so that's why I had to meet with them and, and you know it was. And BET's like, hey, you got BET had my back. It was Bunna Murray, Bino Murray, the the yeah. production company. They was the ones that was like, just meet with them. They go, look, we got your back. BT was like, we got your back, but just meet with them. And and it, honestly, it was a good meeting. It wasn't like it was unproductive, but the only thing that got me was I had literally these few special needs people trying to tell me how to tell my jokes. They literally had one guy had a piece of paper, and he was a cool guy. I really liked him actually, and and. He was like, you said this, you should have said this. And I was like, I'm literally looking at him like, there's no way. Yeah. And that's why I looked at David because all of them had somebody with them. And I was like, I go, you guys are the problem. I goes, because you keep telling them. I said, you keep telling them they're not allowed to be made fun of. I go, everybody's allowed to be made that's fun a, of. That is, a, that, is, that is a very slippery slope in that, in that equality, at least when it comes to stand-up, is making fun of everyone, equality. Right. The second you start not making fun of someone... That's when you believe they're less than. Yeah, exactly. Like, and that's what I told him. I said, I, I make fun of everybody. Everybody's equal. You're on equal ground with me. I said, and I don't look at them like they're less than me. They're the same. So I'm I trying can to, talk I'm trying, about I'm them. trying to see their point of view right now because I go, it is true. Like, like if, if you just, if I went up on stage and I shit on women and shit on dudes and shit on, uh, like mean shit. I'm not like like women suck. Like people have to realize in a joke manner. Like made a joke about women. Like I made a joke the other day about my wife going to Vietnam, and I was like, I wanted to. I sent her there so she could learn how to be a real wife. And everyone was like, Whoa! I go, Hold on, <laughs> fuck off. Funny. It's a joke. Kind of funny. Yeah, and so yeah, but it's like, but you know, shitting on them and just and just making light of using them as a as a joke. And then I just was like, but gays are off limits, guys. Gays are better than us so let's everyone be like wait what the fuck like everyone yeah. be like hold on wait why or if i was like but i don't bring up like that it's almost like uh i'm trying to think of the right analogy but it's like it's like yeah i used to use that defense when i talked about race i'd always be like i'm gonna talk about everybody it's not i'm not gonna stop and just go oh yeah but i don't it's a, i don't know I always thought, by the way, I've never once had a black person ever be offended at one of my shows. I've had black people say stuff to me, go like, mm. that was a little fucking fucked up. But uh, never have anyone, I've never had a black person go, get mad at me. Yeah, well, that's what I said. I had, it was hysterical because this, these special needs advocates, they protested picketed my show in Baltimore. I was at the um, Royal. they got there and they were like, well, there's oh, a lot of black people. <laughs> I, I was writing the joke. I, I opened with it because they're trying to block the entrance. It was the Royal Farms Arena. It in looks Baltimore. a lot like you're protesting black people. Yeah. So they got these picket signs and it said hashtag bully, hashtag we are not a punchline. And they're all in front of this arena marching, right? And they're trying to tell people, don't go in there. And I, I literally I parked in a parking garage across the street so I could look down. I wanted to see this play out. Yeah. So I'm looking out and it it was hysterical because you know about about shows at eight, seven thirty. People aren't really getting there yet. Oh, they're, fuck. They're trickling, yeah. I, by right? the way, I love what you just said. I love that so, I, only comics know that it's an all black audience. It's yeah. not 730. Yeah. It's not packed out. Right. So they're thinking this shit's working. Our protests work. Nobody's coming. I'm telling you about 805. It looked like an episode of The Walking Dead. 
There was just black people coming from every direction. Oh my God. That process ended so fucking fast. They were like this. Okay, we're time to go. They put their oh, picket signs down. They was fuck. out. That was like this. I guess you guys should have researched a little better. And they just should have known my audience. That's you know what so I mean? Fucking man, like four thousand black people was coming. They was getting in that arena in a weird way. And I and I this is a just a thought, everybody. But it's like black people are a tad bit impervious to boycotts and to because they've gone through so much shit. They just are like, huh? And if you're a white person getting offended in front of a black person, that's what I always think. Like, like uh, when I the biggest thing that's been driving me nuts is white women like white feminists being called out for racism and, and, and kind of like uh, co-opting oppression. Like we, ha- we have been oppressed and you always see black guys go, hold on, hold right. on a second. Were you enslaved? Were you brought over in boats? Hold on. Are you, yeah. you haven't been pulled over. Yeah. Have for you, no yeah. reason. How bad is your life? I'm sorry. Right. Uh, you're not noticing that we're getting shot in the fucking streets yeah. today. Or I have, I have a, a new Range Rover that I busted my ass to get. I'm getting pulled over. Cause how, how could I have that? At yeah. 30 years old. It's, it is my biggest one. I hesitate to even say this only because I know it causes a shit storm, but Amy Schumer is boycotting Super Bowl ads only after Rihanna said, by the way, just said on her own, I'm going to boycott it. Didn't write an article. Yeah. Didn't do a Facebook post. Didn't do an Instagram post. They asked around to do the halftime. And she goes, no, I stand with Colin Kaepernick. She just said it to the people booking her and her agents and whoever listened at the time. She didn't make a big deal of it. She went, no, I'm boycotting. Mm-hmm. Amy Schumer, who I like, I'm not shitting on Amy. I'm, j- I'm just saying this is the problem with white feminism. Yeah. Sees what Rihanna did and goes, I'm doing that too. I'm right. not doing any commercials. <laughs> I'm not doing any commercials. And fucking... And I'm like, Are I, you? did we ask you? Yeah, no one even asked her to do a commercial. <laughs> but she saw that it worked for Rihanna. Right. And then, dude, white people have done that to black people throughout fucking history. As <laughs> a black person makes a statement and white people go, I'm on that time. I'm on that team. Dude, yeah. it fucking made me crazy. I watched that and I go. I didn't look at it like that. Dude, I, all I saw was like, uh, I go, Rihanna boys is boycotting the Super Bowl. And then I was like, oh, that's cool. And then the very next thing was Amy Schumer's boycotting the Super Bowl. And she goes, wouldn't it be? And then it's like. Oh, I'm sorry. Because you're white, you get a uh, it kind of, look. And I like Amy. I'm not shitting on her. And, and look, if, like if she's doing, if she's, I don't ever, I don't ever stand up for. I don't, I don't ever believe it's my position to try to stand up for a black man. I think a black man is a grown man. If he wants to stand up for himself, he can. I will hear him out. I don't know about. I don't, I'm not going to be an ally or an advocate or whatever. I just listen to people and I help form my opinion. And then as a grown man, I go through life that way. Mm-hmm. Like that's how I work. I don't ever go. Con Kaepernick is doing this and then I try to co-opt his fucking statement. Mm-hmm. Like it just it was a little shady to me. Yeah. But I don't know why I don't know how we got on that fucking subject. I could talk about black people. I could do a whole podcast. Tom Segura and I wanted to do a podcast on black people because I think there is a whole group of white people that are just obsessed with the culture. Without question. Dude. I mean and they, and they you know, black culture is more than any other are the trendsetters. We you, follow suit, and to the extent of we're in the, you know, we're in the, the entertainment business. It's I, I think it's always amazing how you know, Hollywood entertainment is supposed to be ahead of the game. You know, we're, we're but there's there's really behind. Dude, uh, don't even don't to, even get me started. Because I'll tell you a perfect example. Bernie Mac did the Kings of Comedy. Oh my God! Oh my God! I just said this to someone in a car service yesterday. He goes, uh, 
he said something about comedy. I said, comedy's actually blowing up right now. And he, and he goes, what do you think started it? And I said, I got to be honest with you. I really think it was the King's Comedy. I said, the King's Comedy put stand-up on a brand new platform. You know, it just, it just said, it just said, we're big, we're celebrities, you don't know us, but we're great. Right. And, and then I was in Omaha. I was talking to my driver taking me in Omaha, uh, the same guy that Colleen has everyone take. And I said, King's Comedy. And then the Blue Collar guys came up. And then it was Queen's Comedy, Latino King's Comedy, Brown, yeah. Brown, Brown, Black, or whatever that was going on right now. But it really took things to the next level. Keep going. I apologize. I didn't mean to interrupt. Everyone's fucking losing their mind that I interrupt nonstop. Oh, no, I don't mind it. <clears throat> um, no, but Bernie did Kings of Comedy. And like a month later, I'm looking at Variety and it said newcomer. Bernie Mac gets a Fox Holden deal. Yeah. And I went, newcomer? He's, you know, did the Universal Amphitheater for the last five years and sold it out. Yeah. And you're just getting wind. You know, he's a newcomer to you. I'm like this. They're just so far behind. Dude, I just saw D-Ray is ho- hosted the... BT Hip Hop Awards. BT Hip Hop Awards. And someone someone said something like, who's that? And I was like, dude, D-Ray has been making legit money for fucking 20 years. Mm-hmm. Like he's like... But I also think that a lot of the black guys doing clubs were doing... And yourself included were doing the business the way that we're all doing it now way before we were doing it. Yeah. Well, my first agent... Uh, I'm, I'm sorry. My first manager, I, I let him go. He goes, "You you can't. You gotta you gotta mainstream your act." I said, "What do you mean?" He goes, "Black people will never pay to see a white guy." He goes, "They'll pay to see you on a on a show with black people, but just the headline." He goes, "You're it. never gonna." And it was crazy because I'm not lying. Six months later, Eminem came out, and I went, "Well, there goes that. You're fired." Yeah. Six months later, you know, I was like this. There goes I would have said shit. that. I would have said that. I would have. I swear to God, I would have said that, because there is a weird thing about racism in this business that where I was working with a guy, Kevin. God damn, man! I apologize. I can't remember his last name. Hart? No. no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That'd have been funny. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's no, it, that's Pollock. It. Yeah, Kevin McHale. God, Kevin. Uh, He's, James? No, he was out of... Uh, how many Kevins are. He's out of uh, Chicago, but he's very funny. Klein? No. I wish. <laughs> I didn't realize how many Kevins are in this business. A lot of Kevins. Costner? Yeah, <laughs> yep, that's it. And so, um, I, by the way, I knew two Kevin Kleins. The uh, guy was in Chicago. He was in Chicago. I'm trying to remember his last name. And he was black, clean and super fucking likable like just the most likable guy and he murdered he murdered and he was hosting and we were in schaumburg and halfway through the week he wasn't being a dick he was just being real we're back we're having a drink maybe i know i'm definitely having a drink and he goes he goes he said something about them switching it up why wouldn't they switch it up because he's definitely having better sets than i am and i have to do an hour and by the way it's an all-white audience and Someone said in passing, oh, I doubt, whoever, it wasn't the owner, it was just like a waitress or something, said something like, <coughs> no, you are funny, but there, these people would never buy a ticket to see a black guy. And he was like, what? And then we kind of did the math in our head and we're like, yeah, that is a weird ticket to sell because if you put a black face on a marquee and mm-hmm. you go, this weekend is this guy, black guy. A lot of white people go, oh, that must be for them. Yeah. You know? Well, I think that's... Black people are not like that. Well, I'm a testament. Black people will go to see comedy. 
Right. White people will go to see white comedy. Yeah, there's a testament to that because I think that's the reason that's why Roots was when the first one was so highly rated because white people was like, we're interested. We just don't want you guys to know we're interested. So yeah. in the comfort of our own home, everybody's oh, watching would have never done well in a fucking movie theater. Oh, no. It would have tanked. But <coughs> at, at the way Roots, I was like this, all those white rednecks, people that hate black people, they was watching that shit. Yeah. Like, oh, okay. We can watch it in our home and nobody else were watching it. You know, it's interesting because you go like one of my favorite. I I remember one time I was in Cincinnati at the Funny Bone on the Levee. Mm-hmm. Right? Is that it? Yeah. And I, it was on Sundays and Thursday nights would be all black because I was it was papered room, and it was fun as fuck. It was like. I miss those nights now because you would just you get to know them. You'd spend an hour with a gr- like a group of women, and get to know them, and just and that would be your group you talked to for the whole show. It was all mm-hmm. crowd work, f- f- shoehorning in bits when you could. And I said, I remember saying to them one night, I said, uh, I love Sundays. I don't I like. I feel like I spend all my Sunday nights I spend with black people. And well, there ain't nothing. I, I tell people, man. You know the the difference between black audiences and white audiences, as far as I've I've seen, you might have a different experience. Well, you would know better than I would. Is um, you know, obviously your chances of getting booed are increased greatly. Yeah, the black audience. But who's just saying kill yourself? But if they like you, there ain't nothing like a black audience like laughing their asses off. Because white people, we kind of stay in 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 the pocket. We're like you know, we're a wave pool. Yeah, at the beach. I mean, at, at a water park where black people is a fucking tsunami. Dude, if they, they love you, they celebrate life so much better. And like, there's like, like, there's no. That's the thing. There's no absolutely no inhibition. There's no. Uh, they don't care what if you're laughing at the joke or not. And yeah. I think sometimes that's uh, some white audiences when you get on racial humor and they can be uncomfortable. Oh, they yeah. kind of look around like, am I allowed to laugh at this? Black people don't give a fuck. Yeah. Like, I think it's funny. I'm, I'm gonna be the only one laughing. I don't care. Yeah, you know. I think I had a discussion with Lil Duval about it too, and he goes when he started doing improvs and stuff, and he was like, "Yeah, I don't care if the, if there's 200 people in the room and there's 10 black people." He goes, "I'm telling my jokes to those 10 black people because those 10 black people are gonna come back to see me, and they're gonna tell their friends to come back to see me." He goes, "If the 190 white people, they might come or they yeah. might not." Yeah. He goes, "But those people are gonna be my fans." Hey, crack those doors, would you? Um, for years to come that's so fucking crazy because it's true those those the black people just it's just real I, I remember I remember I had a joke I remember I had a joke about it's a silly fucking joke now when you look back at it you go oh maybe it was maybe not the smartest joke in the world a few people have had it but uh, it was um, they don't they don't make black baby powder like how racist is that? We get the shit that blends <laughs> in, funny. and black guys got to ghost ride the whip. And then I was like, they should make nine different shades of black baby powder. Call it Magic Johnson and Johnsons. So and so, this woman, this white woman, got offended in the front row, and I was like, why are you getting offended? She's like, you can't make fun of them like that. And I went, make fun of them like that. Then she's got the issue. Yeah, and Keep then down. there's a black guy in the back, an older black guy, and he's like, oh, honey, calm down. And right. she was like, excuse me. And he goes, calm down. I'm not offended. And I was like, I think this is over. I think you should listen to him. <laughs> I have best a joke. Is, I think this is over. Yeah, I have a joke now that is, it's, it will be my closing joke on my next special that is just about 
white women getting offended on behalf of people of color where mm-hmm. I just it just it's a it just it just reeks of ridiculous because like when I was growing up if you said something you were held accountable for what you said and you had to pay that toll mm-hmm. I, it, and it fucks up comedy like I made this joke about fucking some pedophile joke and this woman just goes no out of the crowd and I'm like don't do that now that you've done that it looks like I actually you never got let me you're not letting me tell the punchline if I told you the punchline, you'd realize that what I'm saying is the exact opposite of what you're thinking. That's how a fucking joke works, you right. dumb cunt. Fucking how dare you now make me look like I support pedophilia. The best right now is we've done talked about you. Be careful about saying the R word, the F word. And you just went, you fucking cunt. Dude, I say, <laughs> I like, dude, that word is not coming out of my mouth anytime soon. <laughs> yeah, let, let, a, let a bunch of women protest me using cunts because yeah. I want to go, this group of cunts doesn't like Bert calling them cunts. <laughs> Fucking idiots! I yeah, I've, I've that is true, man. Like you, like the only honestly, the only people that like was offended that is 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 nine percent has been white people. Like it's white people, fuck? and it's and it's based on. And white I think guilt. it's deep. Yeah, that's what it is. It's white guilt. You're like, but how do you how do you dodge that? Like, because I have white guilt. I have regular white guilt. I say fucked up things to black people all the time. Like like trying to be cool. You know, trying to like. To just be, but there's a level of trust I think with me now in the black audience. Like when I'm on the road, yeah. they're like, "We know he's on have our side." Ever, have you ever crossed it on accident or like tried to take it too far? And you go, "No, honestly, no." I've I've always had this innate ability, and that's just been life. Like even just hanging out with black guys when I was in the Navy, I knew how far to push the envelope without going too far. Yeah, I don't know. It's just something inside me. Like I. I kind of knew. Well, I think it's a real testament to like not having hate in your heart. Does that make sense? That's true. I think that's part of it. Like, I say, I say fucked up shit all the time. I think I've said I've probably crossed the line. I'm sure, but I know for a fact that there's no hate in my heart. Like, I know that. Yeah, that's true. I think, and and that's another thing too. When you talk about getting offended, I think with black audiences especially, it's like I think they can read comics immediately when they get on stage like like okay he's he's on our side yeah he's not he's not about that and i also think that if i say something ignorant or something that i don't know the answer to people will then go oh i yeah he actually really doesn't know like like i used to have a joke about uh about people are gonna go bert is this entire podcast you running jokes by gary that you already recorded um i had a joke that i did and this is dead true i did not know the Japanese people could not understand Chinese people at all. Like, I really didn't know that. Until I moved to L.A., I thought it was the same fucking language. I thought yeah. all Asian people spoke the same language. So or, not? Or a dare... <laughs> <laughs> Bert. Hold on, hold on. It's not. <laughs> it's not. crazy. Yeah, that, got, that blew me away. Huh. I was with Dr. Ken... And he, there was a Japanese guy losing his Whoa. shit, yelling in a line. And I go, I th- and I'm not even joking. I said, I think your dad's upset. And he went, I'm sorry, my dad? And I go, that's not your dad? And he goes, no, that's not my dad. That's just an Asian guy. And I went, what's he saying? And he goes, I don't know. I'm not Japanese. <laughs> and I was like, well, kind of what's he saying? And he goes, I don't kind of fucking know. And it, I was like, oh, that'll be a joke. It's just fucking based on just not knowing. <clears throat> How's that? Do you, do you party on the road? Uh, not as much as I used to, but if I do, it's gotta be worth it. Really? It's got a risk reward. So wait, how old are you now? I'm in my forties. 
I'm 45. I'm 45 too. Yeah. It feels weird to be 45 in this business because when we were kids, you were aged out of the business at 45. Yeah. Not, and now, anymore. not anymore. Now the business is made up of 50 year olds. The biggest in the game are all in their 50s. Yeah. And you're like, dude, fuck yeah. When did that start? I'm good. And then all those guys that were big when we were 20s that were huge. Mm-hmm. That's weird, man. As I said, um, I didn't say it. Uh, Jamie Foxx told me early in my career, he was like, yo, this is the biggest temp job in the world. And this is why I never got about doing movies. Your last day on set, they clap. They're like, okay, that's a wrap for Gary Owen. Everybody claps. I go, motherfuckers, I'm unemployed. Yeah. Clap my first day. Yeah. And then you're like this. It was the reality check for me in this business was I get my first movie called Held Up. Uh-huh. So uh, I get back from, from, we shot it in Saskatchewan, Canada. Uh-huh. And I fly back and I land in LA and I had been gone for like six weeks. And I'm thinking when I get back, it's on. Phone's ringing. Everybody knows I just did a movie with Jamie Foxx. Uh, I'm good. Uh, you know, there should be TMZ should be waiting for me at the airport, you know? Yeah. yeah. Waiting on my bags. Car service took me back to my apartment. And I went, okay, now what? Oh, now I got to wait for the movie to come out, which is to end up taking 18 months. I was like this. Oh, so when you're done, it's just on to the next gig, hopefully. God. I was like, I literally in my brain, like, I'm a working actor now. I'm good. I didn't get another movie for like three years. <laughs> it's like this. Oh, you know? Yeah. Just happens, man. Operation Grind and Stack. Yeah. That's the whole fucking thing. It's just, you just eat, you got to, it's almost like working out. You just got to do it when no one's looking and just go, fuck, I'm, I'm still doing it. I'm still doing it. And, then, and this is a perfect example. Like I was, I was telling your engineer, like the, the, this, the podcast realm of standups, you know, we got so many outlets now to, to, to make money and, and build an audience. Uh, that's why I, you know, when, when Monique had her ran about Netflix mm-hmm. and I go, I don't, I don't feel sorry for you at all because I've done my last three specials myself because everybody, I, you know, we, you go to comedy and I think that's when you say I'm a white guy doing black humor, black, black comedy, a lot of the networks don't get it. And they're the same thing. The network execs is like, well, I don't get it. So if I don't get it, I'm not, I'm not using them. Because I don't know where he fits into our programming and how we can promote that. Instead yeah. of just saying this is a funny guy. His clothes don't look urban. Where he doesn't talk urban. Yeah. And Will, I mean, Will Packer said it in that same BuzzFeed article. He goes, he goes, but honestly. the second time Will Packer's name's come up. That's my someone dude. Just brought, someone just brought up Will Packer. He did, uh, he did uh, Girls, Trip. Girls Trip. Yeah. He didn't he's, think like wait, a man. Where's he from? Uh, uh, he's from Florida. He grew up in Florida. Florida A&M is where he went to college. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Someone just brought Will Packer up to me last week, I think. Oh, yeah. He's he's that guy, man. But he uh, he's going to put me in Think Like a Man and Ride Along. And But he um, he said Gary would be bigger if he probably was sagging his pants and had a little lingo to him. He goes, but he's literally a, a, a middle-aged white guy that black people love. And like mainstream Hollywood does not know what to do with that. They're like, I don't know where to go with this. It doesn't make sense. The algorithm I don't know what doesn't, to do. It doesn't fit in the algorithm. But now, you know, like I said, I've done my specials myself. Going, You know, I showcase for Comedy Central. And Comedy Central, that's the answer they gave me. They go, Gary's funny, and he really connects with his audience. We just don't know if he'll connect with our audience. Yeah. That was why they passed on me. Um, that Basically, all the networks kind of give you the same answer. But... You can always do it yourself. Luckily, I'm in a situation where I can financially do a good special 
and then sell it. And luckily, I got a deal. I I, I got a good um, relationship with Showtime. That's so funny. That they'll always buy it back. They're you like, get put. Okay. You get put in the same business model as black guys. Yeah, like you're in that Cat Williams business model of like the industry just going. We don't know what to do with you. We know that you have fans. We just. I, we don't know how to market to them. We don't know any, and then you do it, make it, and you're like, "Oh yeah, this will work." It's so funny. Yeah. That's the same. It's exactly what the cat and Kevin Hart. Now, do you yeah. get caught up into the like the urban comedy beefs and beefs? stuff? No, nah, I have fun with it. I'm cool. I, I try to I be watch, cool. I watched, I watched you. I watched <clears throat> you on your Instagram talk about something. I forget what it was. Was it Monique? Maybe I went off on Monique, Monique a little bit. It I never called Monique. her out her name. I just went. If you got problems with a lot of different people, it's you. Yeah. You can't have problems with four different people over four different projects and think everybody's against you. You have to take a step back. And no no different than me giving a terrible table read and doing some terrible audition. I came out for pilot season one year and I was so caught up in just memorizing the lines. I didn't get one callback, nothing, because I would just think I gave a good audition because I knew the lines. And then yeah. I kind of realized, oh, I kind of suck. At yeah. this audition thing. Like, you know, as a stand-up, once you get on camera and you're in the scene, that's different. Audition's a whole other ballgame. Yeah. So I was like, I'm I'm a really bad auditioner. I got to get better at this. So I had to work at it, you know? And then I think if you got people that are saying you're a problem to work with and you're not getting work because of that, because there's no reason you win an Oscar and you're not working. There's no reason. Um, you have, I mean, you have to take a step back and be like, it's not everybody got this conspiracy and they they don't want to work with me i mean you have to take some accountability to that she did win an oscar she won an oscar and killed it it wasn't like it wasn't like you know it was one of them lifetime achievement things like this person's been up 18 times we're gonna give it to him or her now because there have been numerous oscars that you know denzel's was not for training day yeah, Denzel's was for all Although the things he should have got. Training day was fucking amazing. fucking amazing. But it was like that was a foregone conclusion. Like it was like I think everybody knew Denzel's winning this shit. Yeah, because it was a good enough performance. Yeah, but it was okay. We've we passed on this guy enough, and he's done too many other. His body of work speaks for itself. Leonardo DiCaprio with with the the Revenant. The, oh yeah, yeah. I was like, dude, he had like three lines, but I mean, it was a great yeah. role. But I was, <laughs> he had three. Dude, that movie, the audition for that oh, must that have been. Dick? That's a bear dick. That's a bear Fuck. The audition had to be. <laughs> oh. Killed it. Dude, good job, man. You got it. I mean, that was like a foregone conclusion. Like, okay, that performance was good enough, but we're, Leo's getting that shit this year. Now, are you doing a podcast out of your place in San Francisco? I And I was just 10 years in. You know, like, I had a place in Cincinnati. But I have to find a place now in the bay where I can, I can, you know, do well, they're my podcast. all over. But I would just do it in your house. I know. I have. I'm better. But I have to still have to get the right mics and yeah, set it up. It's so fucking easy. Yeah. It's so fucking. It's it for me. It's the. It might be the best thing I ever did in my career. Podcast. Yeah. Well, I mean, I sent you a message on Twitter. Oh yeah. And I was like, dude, I'd really like to do your podcast. Oh dude, I I mean And then UTA called and was like, Bert wants to do his podcast and I go, Oh, I wonder where that came from. <laughs> <laughs> Way to take credit. <laughs> <coughs> what uh like I wanna get I, it's funny, I was I was telling your engineer, I was like, you know, I I, I I held off on doing a podcast for so long because I thought, I don't need a podcast for what? And then I was like, why am I not doing this if people are going to 
spend money on commercials. It's just another way to have income coming in that's so easy, and you're just talking. Oh, even without income, I would do this podcast. Oh, me too. I would do it for free because what it provides is, and not every episode's good. Like I, I've done a couple stinkers, and I have some stinkers oh, lined sweet. up. I can tell when they're going to come. Oh, wow, I go, all, all might have been amazing. That's oh, weird. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> but I like I go I go, uh, and some is it's me. It's me like fucking it up, mm-hmm. but this is my social media. This is the best social media I'm good at. It's like being able to hang out and talk and bullshit for an hour about comedy and about life. Like You're peeling I, the curtain back. Yeah, you, people get to see behind the scenes. And it's like it's the number one thing people come up and say to me at meet and greets. They go, "Hey, thanks for the free content." This my cooking show, my solo podcast, and then being guest on like on like my friends' podcast or whatever. That's the biggest. That's the biggest change in my career. I've well, been on TV is, for eight years that never moved the needle. Well, it's it's a it's and that's the state of entertainment too. Is I I I said it on my podcast when when Cat Williams went on the rant about Tiffany Haddish and everything yeah. else, and I I said you know and Cat came across as angry. Oh, by the way, by the way, by the way, hang on, I'm so sorry. If I don't remember to say this right now, I'll forget it. Do not lose your train of thought. The other thing about the Amy Schumer thing is you know Tiffany Haddish has a Super Bowl commercial lined up. Like you oh, know really? she well, you know she does Groupon and stuff. You know yeah. Tiffany Haddish has a big Super Bowl commercial lined up, and now she's forced at looking and going, "Fuck!" Now I gotta, God damn it, Tiffany. Like, but Tiffany has a way to just. Some people have that ability just to yeah. to kind of float over everything. I love Tiffany. I've you known know? Tiffany for you. I'm sure you've known Tiffany. Oh yeah, for, I got yeah. a YouTube video called Twerking for Jesus, and I called her to do it. Yeah, and I said. Hey Tiff, this is four years ago, and I said, uh, "Hey, I got this. Uh, I got this stupid song I want to do. Can you come over to my hotel and, and like twerk while I sing this stupid song?" And she was like, "All right." She goes, "Is there any money?" And I went, "I'll give you a hundred bucks." Yeah. And she goes, "Okay." So she comes over, she does it, and then she goes, "You think this is gonna hurt my career?" And literally, I know I'm an asshole, but in my brain, I was like, "Ain't nobody know you. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> we're not even really showing you. You're just twerking behind." Yeah. And then uh, right when she left, she's just looking at him and looking at her. I go, all right, thanks, Tim. She goes, you got the $100? I was like, oh, shit, yeah, yeah, yeah. She's a fucking, she's she's queen bee of Operation Grind and Stack. That yeah. fucking woman's putting together money right now. Yeah. I, um, I'm, I'm so, so wait, happy for her. You were going to say, you were going to say about Cat Williams. I apologize. Well, oh, yeah. Well, Cat and he he had the, 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 the beef with Tiffany. Have you done that radio show? Which the, one? The one in Atlanta with the yeah V one oh three yeah yeah they offered me a job a while back they really? wanted me to move there and be on you know that be lady on the radio stand up right Wanda Smith yeah and I don't know what went on beforehand I don't know what if there was some banner going on but uh, you know I think clearly Cat was a little perturbed yeah and it came across what was he doing there he was he's he's good friends with Red Grant well, I know I know the him and and he's always tight. in Atlanta. I don't know for what, but Cat just kind of hangs out, and that's his spot in Atlanta. Yeah, I, I think very similar to how Richard probably used to hang out in the Bay, and like Chappelle yeah. kind of hangs out in the Bay, and then they go up whenever they want, and they can sell out a room. Yeah. Uh so when that happened, I went on my podcast and I I commented on what I think Cat was trying to say, is you know don't sit here and say Tiffany's the funniest stand up when you don't know any of her jokes. He's like, you know, she's known for Girls Trip. Mm-hmm. And I go, but, and there's some validity to that where no different than Chris Tucker isn't, he, you know, he didn't get famous off his of stand up. He got famous off Friday and Rush Hour. 
Tiffany got famous off girls trips. And then people were like, she's a stand-up? Not knowing she's been doing stand-up for 20 years. Oh, yeah. So I said, so my thing with that was like, whatever she's done in stand-up didn't resonate. Girls trip resonated. And that's what really took her to the next level. Yeah. It wasn't putting her down. It wasn't saying she's not funny. But going to your point with podcast and stand-up and social media and YouTube. I was like a YouTube, like a TV network now. Mm-hmm. And... I'd rather do stuff like this yeah. than to go audition to be the third lead in a sitcom. Because I always say there's a guy, Tone Bell, who oh, he opened me for in Dallas like eight years ago. And I knew he was funny and he had a good look. And as soon as he got to LA, he's booked like eight pilots yeah. and six have gone to series and they get canceled. But I said, Tone Bell walked to the airport and nobody will know him. I was like, and he is killing it yeah, as far is. as like pilots and TV. I go, but that just shows you like this stuff for standups, I think it resonates more and it, and it, and it translates into ticket sales yeah. more than being the fourth person on a sitcom on NBC at 8.30. Oh, I agree. Oh, I don't think that. But I, when we yeah. started, that, that was, was the holy goal. grail. That was the goal. You know, like, dude, if I'm on a sitcom, I'm good. Yeah. I'm done. I'm out the game. I'm, I'm, this is what I'm doing. Now I'm like, it's almost like the reality show people are more famous than actors and actresses in sitcoms. Oh, easily. Like that's the the crazy thing is that someone said to me the other day, you and your family should do a reality show. And people I respect were like, that's not a bad idea. And I went, hold on, I don't want a reality show. And they're like, oh, it's not real. You can just script it. And I was like, well, I'm not definitely not doing that. And then part of me was like, who I would love to fucking really badly script a reality show and force my family to act in it. Why well, like did you know? I, I had one. Did you really? I had one on BET, the Gary Owen show. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, you know and what? It's still on demand. But you know, when I when I was thinking about doing it, and and what happened was Ti approached me. He want he's a producer on it, and he had did Family Hustle. Oh my god, so I, I love Ti. Ti's great. So I I love Ti. I was it. a little critical of the Trump video personally. I didn't say it out loud to anyone. He's so passionate though. It's he's hard. so passionate. I get it. She's like, by the way, that woman who was in that commercial in that video mm-hmm. is smoking hot. She right. looks exactly like her. Right. She's getting death threats right now. I don't think they're valid death threats. Yeah, I, don't, I think I don't, it's just people that are. Usually, they don't call before they shoot you. Right, they just shoot you. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I asked, uh, you know, I asked some movie producers. Wait, how did you get to know Ti? Just I know all the black people. Dude, can that is like honestly, my dream. that's just how it happens. Like you go, they come to your shows, or you you're at the same social settings as them. I don't even know where I met them the first time. Where did I meet Ti the first time? Uh, Oh, first time I met T.I. was Alonzo Mourning and Dwayne Wade had their celebrity weekend. It was called Zoe's Summer Groove. This was like 2006 or seven. Yeah. And I was one of the comics on the show. And for some reason, they put me in the biggest freaking dressing room at uh, at the Hard Rock there at the casino. Yeah. So T.I. was the he was closing it as a rapper. Yeah. So they was like they came in and asked me, they go, do you mind moving dressing rooms? Because T.I.'s got like 15 people. And I had me and my buddy yeah and then, and i go yeah that's fine i go but i want ti to ask me <laughs> so ti goes hey what's up man you mind appreciate it man i was like yeah it's cool yeah. <laughs> and that's how we met uh, and then he you know just stayed cool with him i come to atlanta and just stayed cool i'd see him I out i love ti you know? and and uh oh but i i was asking people like if i do a reality show 
how are people gonna look at me in the industry? And they go, dude, as long as you don't come across as an asshole, yeah. they know who you are. You know, and I always looked at it like, not to bring up Monique again, but Monique did like that rock school of love where yeah. she took all those old Flavor Flav girls and everything and, and did that. And then Sharon Osbourne took it over. Mm-hmm. And next year she won Oscar. So she basically did a ratchet reality TV show. Yeah. And I said, when I thought of that, I go, oh, I'm good. Like this business is now it's just whatever. Who is the black celebrity that you met that you were the most excited about? And first I'll start with saying my top five. My top five, DMX. I'm saying, now this is my, my, my caveat. Walks backstage, I had the set of my lifetime, and I didn't know they were there and saw it. Easily DMX. I'm, DMX, just in a period of my life when I was probably like trying to figure out this business the most, that's all I listened to. Hmm. It would go DMX, a big boy I met, he was like, that was like a fucking... I'm really going through a killer Mike phase right now. Although I feel like me and him wouldn't like have much to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then and then I'd have to go. I would like to meet Colin Powell. Oh, Colin Powell! Wow, talk about left field. Yeah, well, no, but Colin Powell. Like, I heard him one time. T- this is a long time. Give a speech with. I guess what time do you need to get out of here? Uh, I got a four thirty. Okay. Okay. Oh, then we should get we should wrap this up within the next five. Okay. Um, to get you over the hill. Uh. Colin Powell, I saw him give a speech with, uh, I think, Madeleine Albright. Uh, I was on TV a long time ago, and I just was like, and my uncle knew him, knew him said he was fucking amazing. Obviously, Louis Farrakhan. I met Louis Farrakhan. He came to one of my shows. Yeah. I got a, I got a great Louis Farrakhan story. We might want to close with this one. So, Louis Farrakhan, I was on the Tom Joyner cruise. Oh, right. Oh, so that's all black people. Just so everyone knows, that's the cruise that Ralphie got booed on and never left his room. Hold on. That's the cruise where I did it the year before and the year after. So that year they brought in Ralphie, right? Yeah. And they say cell phones don't work in the ocean. Bullshit. Because my phone was blowing up. <laughs> when Ralphie bombed, they was like, you. And I was like, what? Because it's a white guy. Yeah. They contact me. Oh. And the next year... I literally, they was like, don't do what he did. You better not do what the dude did last year. What did he, like he open with an Amistad joke? He's, uh, what, what I heard was, I, I asked people on the boat, what happened? Because people were there. Uh, one was, he said, the, to the gist of his joke was, the last time there was this many black people on a ship, you was on your way over here. Oh. And they went. And then he started talking about what a black woman's pussy looked like, right? Oh. And then one girl goes, Gary. One girl was so funny. She goes, Gary. We know you know what a black pussy look like. We was like, when's that motherfucker seen a black pussy? <laughs> oh my God. That's what they held fucking. That's what bothered them is they were like, you're just guessing. Right. Like, <laughs> motherfucker, don't be describing our pussy. Gary knows. Yeah. <laughs> Gary's eating it, been inside of it. He's been all around it. Oh, that's, so that's, that's what I heard. I don't, I don't know. But so, keep uh, going. Uh, so Farrakhan is in the audience and he sits right in the front on the Tom Joyner cruise. Yeah. Yeah. He comes in with his people, the nation and they're all there. And I'm just, and this is what I said. I say, yo, as soon as I saw him walk in, I was like, last night is one of those moments you don't think you're going to have in your life. And this is, this is what happened on the Tom Joyner cruise. They always have a midnight concert Mm -hmm. and this concert was old school hip hop. 
So it was common. The fat boys who aren't fat anymore. Oh, really? uh, the gastric bypass boys. KRS one. Yeah. Just, just, it was, it was great. Like it was the eighties, oh early nineties. It was that oh time. Naughty by nature and shit like that. And it was, it wasn't, we're going to try our new music. It was two songs and you're out. So they hit the two stunners oh, and then somebody else with two stunners. So it was just, the crowd is nonstop, right? It was, it was OPP and you know, and then, then oh, it was fat, fat boys, boys are, back. are back. Oh my God. It was nonstop. Right. And then it's over and Farrakhan comes out and I go, how the fuck's going to follow this? You know what I mean? Cause the crowd yeah. went from ah, to quiet and he slowly, Hey brothers, he slowly gets them in to give him praise to everybody, and then he gets into preacher mode, and the crowd, he just sucked them right in. And I went, I got goosebumps, because I was like, now I get it. You wonder, why do they why do they follow this dude? Yeah. And literally, so I'm on stage, and I'm describing the night. I go, I was worried for you last night. Uh, minister? Can I call you minister? Yeah. And I just, and then he, he you know, he's a, and I go, you were so good last night. I go, when you said we we're the first people. I started clapping. And then I realized, oh, you're not talking about me. So I was like, well, we were second. <laughs> My people were second. We were the first yeah, people. I, I, like, I, was, we. I literally was like this, yes, we're the first people. Oh. He's not talking to me, is he? Oh. I go, I was so caught up. I forgot I was white. Completely, legitimately forgot. Oh, I go, that's how good a speaker you are. And, and I, the only regret I had was, you know, and, and when you're on the Tom Turner cruise, you have different um, dining areas. So the celebrities can dine without taking pictures and being bothered. Well, Farrakhan comes in and all the celebs went nuts. Oh, yeah. And I just, I didn't get a picture and I wish I would have. I just sat back because I was like, you know, I just, and then he came up and like acknowledged I was funny last night. So that was like, it was just a cool moment. And I was like, to, you know, the guy was yeah. at my show. I was making him laugh. And I was commenting on his commentary. You know what I mean? God and then I did damn. my I did a black church joke, which was a, a oh. strong bit for me. And it destroyed the room. And I got off. I was like, and he was right there with me. And all the Islam guys are I never seen the nation of Islam laugh. And oh, the bow yeah. ties, dying. Like they were really? stoic, but they were dying. And then his son was so fucking cool. He's really? got he had a son that came up and was talk I talked to him. We were talking about sports. And then somebody told me later, you know, that's his son. I go, no. He just came up and goes, hey, man, he was funny last night. And I could tell he wasn't Nation of Islam guy because he wasn't yeah. dressed like that. But he was clearly with the group. Yeah. And then later they told me he was his son. I was like, I didn't even know. I just had a like 15-minute conversation with his son about, you know, the Lakers and the Bengals and shit like that. Just nothing. Shut the fuck up. So, that, I mean, that was the cool moment with talking God about Farrakhan. Man. Well, you've lived... You lived my dream. I would love to make Louis Farrakhan laugh. Only just because <laughs> it's like one of those guys where the, he's been around forever. You know, this like and and you it's it's almost like uh, that's a straight up hood pass. <laughs> when you get, oh when yeah, you get that's why I wish I would have had the picture. I go, what an Instagram post. Oh my god, <laughs> me and my dude. Hey! <laughs> um. So what 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 can we promote for you? Anything? Got anything coming up? Uh, Your tour dates are probably all sold out. I would suggest any white person going to see you. I'm being <laughs> yeah. serious. It's a fun show. It's yeah. a fun show. Thank Go you. in. Now, I will say, yeah, I always tell you, just the website, uh, GaryOwen.com's got everything on there. It's one-stop shopping. That's I do everything at BurtBurtBurt.com. You can get yeah. my Instagram. My other, your Instagram's oh, awesome. Oh, yeah, I thanks. Love your, you're one of the few people who I feel like really is in the pocket with Instagram. Oh, nice. Thanks. Yeah, thanks. I, and, I, and I watched you drive across country. 
Yeah, I drove the U-Haul cross country. Now I will since we're on this uh, suck each other's dick closer. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I've never I I I stopped watching stand up years ago, like watching an hour. Yeah. Because I feel like a lot of stand ups they take people's mannerisms, maybe not take their jokes. No, but yeah, they, it's very natural. It happens. Yeah. So yeah. I said I made a constant decision like I'll watch a bit on YouTube or I'll do this, but I'm not gonna watch an hour because I want to make sure my jokes are mine. Yeah. And I want to. But I will say I saw the thing, and it was on World Star Hip Hop of all things, of you in Lexington, your closer, where you do the money thing. Oh yeah. And I was like, I never wanted to steal a joke, but I wanted to use that closer. Oh, you should have. Because I was I, like, I, I said because I was there like a, two weeks after you. Oh really? So I got to talk to the waiter. Yeah. And I was talking to the staff. They go, Oh, so cool. And and when you, and I don't want to mess it up. You you ask everybody to to pass a hat around or something I, I said i i used to have them come to the stage because people like coming to the stage mm -hmm. but i just now i pass around buckets i go if you give don't get if you give that's great if you can't give that's fine uh but i go these people you know the wait staff here lives paycheck to paycheck and we're gonna raise about a thousand bucks and a thousand bucks can save someone's life it can really get them out of the hole i don't know if you've ever lived paycheck to paycheck and everyone has and everyone's like oh fuck yes yeah. so we get usually around a thousand bucks now now it's more now it's like 16 sometimes and um, and then we just pull out one of the names. And that week we had I just started doing it right around then. Mm -hmm. Like I'd done it maybe four times, and we pulled it. And I had met I think it was, I want to say his name's Greg. But I met him the night before, and he hung out. And he's like, I just want to say I had a beer with the machine, and and we had like a beer, but he just had one like half a beer and left. Mm -hmm. And I was like, is he in like is he a is he on uh fucking home home arrest or like why did he just and they're like i don't know he's just you know he's a responsible guy and when he won that changed the game and i was videotaping it thank god but he came up and he started crying yeah i saw that and he was like man next week's my daughter's 13th birthday i didn't have money to buy her a present let alone throw her a party and i think he said something to the effect of now i get to be the dad she thinks i am or something and yeah. i that's when i melted down and i was like well i thought it was funny when everyone started giving more money yeah and you're like i want to be your daughter yeah <laughs> yeah that was a dude i always say i always say there's no there's no thievery in that joke because it just raises money for the staff if you cool. ever want to do it all right well i'm gonna do it i'm in i'm in houston in a couple weeks it's just when it goes viral with all black people in you, just throw yeah. my name out, throw my website or something. <laughs> I will. I'm gonna be like, I got this from another comic. I, th I don't think you're stealing if you do that. Yeah, because I had a I had a bit where I brought a black guy on stage to say the N word for me. It was my closer to one of my specials. Oh, and I wish I had that. All of a sudden, all of a sudden, uh, they made a sketch of it on Showtime. Had this chocolate Sunday sketch show, yeah. and the sketch was my joke. And I called the producer. I said. Who wrote the joke? Who? What writer said they wrote that? Because that's my bit. And he yeah. goes, he goes, I don't know. We have a think tank. I says, you can't tell me who wrote it. I said, you're telling me somebody stole it. Yeah. And then he go, I go, the bad part is you could have called me, and I would have been like, yeah. I said, just say this is based on a Gary Owen joke. I said, I would have been fine with that. I'm not using the joke anymore. Yeah. I said, but when you just take it, and then you feel so violated, I go, and then I know you stole it because you can't tell me who wrote it. And yeah, and then you go, what, did you think I was weak? You didn't think I was going to speak up for myself? You yeah. didn't think I was going to talk behind your back? Yeah. I had I someone like do this. that with one of my jokes, put it in one of their shows, and then fucking, and I, to this day, I slam that person. We got to get you the fuck out if you're going to cross the hill. Hold on, let me order my uh, Uber, and we can go to my Uber gets here. Do you know the address to UTA? <laughs> I was going to give me the right, right when I need to be. Ooh, 10% off of UberX. And Ooh, that's nice. going to get me there at 421. 
confirm pickup. All right. I'm looking at all my. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna use your, uh, I'm gonna use your closer. I'll, I'll make sure I give you credit. Yeah, please. Two minutes away. It's uh, well, we'll get you out the front, dude. I've always said this. I've had a few handful of people that have been like this, but when we ran each other in the Cincinnati airport, I go, not enough comics do that and say hi and bullshit. Bobby yeah. uh, Slayton is one of them. Where he, like, if he knows you, if he sees your picture and he sees you, he comes up and he's like, "Hey, Bobby Slayton, I know you know who I am. Uh, where are you coming in from?" <laughs> you know, Bobby Slayton, uh, uh, Ari Shafir. The reason I met him was that uh, we were at a club and he was standing next to me and he goes, "I'm Ari. Uh, I think you're really funny." I was like, "I'm Bert. I think you're hilarious." And he was like, "That's the the Joe Rogan, yeah. Carlos Mencia, yeah, yeah, the guy." Okay, God, you're out of the fucking. You're so Cincinnati. <laughs> I'm not the loop. <laughs> I'm like I'm glad I got to do this podcast because I was like you know I I watch yours like I said I watch Theo Vaughn's I watch Joe Rogan's I watch the Fighter and the Kid yeah like you know that's where I when I'm on the treadmill I listen to the podcast now instead of music and it and it honestly I between I've that's why I knew you were doing Sober October that's how you know Joe's how I found out about David Goggins oh uh, dude that guy's fucking amazing yeah like I I think his about shit that guy now. every time I jog yeah embrace the suck. Yeah, fuck. Like, there's so many like like intermittent fasting. I think I've gotten healthy off Joe Rogan's podcast. Oh, I have. I have. Well, I definitely have. I've you know had to quit drinking for two months. Joe now. Rogan's podcast. Here I got really went to Joe Rogan's podcast. Judd Apatow went on Joe's podcast and said uh, it was almost like a validation. He goes, "The loudest last I ever heard was at a Gary Owen comedy show." He goes, "I was in uh, Nashville, Tennessee, and I did a guest set." And Gary went up after me, and he goes, "Am I hearing this right? Am I in the same business?" Because he saw all black audience, and he said the same thing you said. He goes, "So I sat back, and I wanted to listen to his materials." He goes, "He pandering." He goes, and his, he's like, "No, his material's good." Yeah. He goes, "They're just." He goes, "I don't know if I should be doing this if this is what it's about right now." And it was like this validation from Judd. I go, "Oh, like, thank you." Please make a movie. Do a, right. a comedic eight, <laughs> nine mile. Right. <laughs> nine <laughs> call, mile. Called eight mile. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna do the jerk too. All right, well, let's wrap this up and get you out of here. Get you over to UTA. Um, yeah. Dude, thank you for doing this, man. No, I, thanks I, for having me. This is one of the few podcasts I, that I've done lately where I've been so excited about it. So oh, yeah? Like, oh, dude, I've been saying this for like a couple weeks. I'm like, oh, we got Gary coming in. Oh, nice. Well, it's like you never, I never get to hang out with like, I, I, I'm using a hip hop term, but like old heads, like guys who are in their 40s that are still doing it, that have been working the road legit hard, have respect for the craft, but aren't. It's not like just like they just blew up off of one thing. It's like they've been busting their ass. And you're, yeah. without a doubt, you are respected across the board by every comic. Oh, that's good to know. And, I don't oh. know them. I don't know any of them. <laughs> Come out to LA more. Let I'm me like this. I have no idea. <laughs> you should go to the store tonight and see how many people are like, holy shit, Gary Owen. Yeah. I'm like Bigfoot. I'm like, yeah. there's sightings <laughs> for Gary Owen. She went there. There's no way it was there. Fuck yeah. <laughs> hey, thank you, brother. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. This episode was brought to you by The Machine.